أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وأنحكم بينهم بما أنزل الله ولا تتبع أهواءهم واهذرهم أن يفتنوك أم بعض ما أنزل الله إليك فإن تولوا فاعلم أنما يريد الله أن يصيبهم ببعض ذنوبهم فإن كثيرا من الناس لفاسقون we are here on Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah number 5, verse number 49 and onwards. This is a continuation of what we were doing yesterday where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had mentioned repeatedly to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam to make decision and judge and issue legal rulings based on what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had revealed to him, which means Qur'an al-Kareem and the Sunnah of Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi sallam. And yesterday we had three different ayat in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that those people who do not decide on the basis of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed do not decide their personal matters, their interpersonal matters, their legal matters based on the Qur'an and Sunnah then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to them alternatively as kafirun, as fasikun, and as zalimun. Here, the Shatna Nuzul here is that there were three occasion of this ver- revelation of this verse that there were three leaders from the Jews and they came to Sayyidina Rasulullah and they said that if the three of us believe all the Jews will believe we have such a position of leadership that if the three of us will believe then all the Jews of Medina Manawara, Khyber, the surrounding areas will believe and we are willing to believe if we want to bring a particular matter of dispute to you and if you decide in our favor Clearly, obviously, that was not the haq. That would just decision would have been against them. But they said, they tried to bribe, if you will, the Prophet that if you decide in our favor, then we will accept Iman. And once we accept Iman, all of the other Jews will believe. Obviously, Sayyidina Rasulullah refused to do this. And Allah Ta'ala then revealed this ayah that, uh, that you must decide between them. You must judge and issue legal rulings between them. Bima anzalallahu, by means of which, on the basis of which Allah subhanahu has revealed. And you should not, my beloved messengers, some follow ahwa'uhum, their whims and desires. You should not follow their whims and desires. But rather you should wahadarhum, you should be wary and cautious of them. You should be wary and cautious of them. Why? Because what is it that they want? They want to divert you and distract you from part of that which has been revealed to you, part of that which Allah Ta'ala has revealed to you, they want to take you away from part of deen. They want you to make a concession for them. They want you to alter one thing. So the lesson we learn from this is that this is something that Allah SWT is reprimanding severely in Qur'an. That a person wants to follow all of deen except some part of it. So, an ba'adhi ma anzalallahu ilayk. Ba'ad can be even the smallest of portions of that which Allah subhanahu has revealed to you, the Prophet So, diverting from even the slightest fraction of deen is been being severely reprimanded by Allah subhanahu in Qur'an. فَإِن تَوَلَّوا So if they turn their backs, if they spurn you, فَأَلَمْ أَنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَنْ يُسِيبَهُمْ They know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes, His irada and His intent is to make, uh, is to make reach them, literally means to punish them, بِبَعْضِ ذُنُوبِهِمْ By means of a small amount of their sins. Now what is here, now the Mufassirin have mentioned over here, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously will punish them due to all of their sins, but their sins are so great that even a part amount of their sin, even some of their sins, is sufficient for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to punish them. You see, but doesn't literally mean punish, you can maybe translate it here, strike. 
that Allah Ta'ala will strike them. Literally it means that Allah Ta'ala will make something reach them. So it means that Allah Ta'ala will make a decree and His power and His command and His punishment reach them or strike them by means of even just a part of their sins. So this is the second thing for us to be scared of, right? That it's not all of our sins or the totality of our sins that necessarily will invite the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even partial sins, some of our sins, and I've even told you in Arabic, Ba'ath can even come for one. Even one sin is sufficient to earn the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, one transgression, and I've explained this to you before in any system of rules, whenever you have an incident of rule breaking, even if that person broke a single rule, that single rule can be sufficient. So for example, in universities, there are certain rules that if you break even just one rule, you will be expelled. You could have been a straight-A student. You could be in your senior year. You could have been getting A's for three and a half years. You could have followed every single other rule. But that one rule, breaking a single rule, may be sufficient for the authority to strike you from their record. This is what Allah SWT is saying. Right? So even breaking one rule, even breaking one rule can be sufficient for Allah SWT to punish. Now Allah has made a general statement that indeed the vast majority of humanity will be sinners, will be corrupt, will be immoral. Now this is again, now if you're looking at when you talk about sociology and anthropology and the social sciences, and those are ways to understand humanity. The Qur'an al-Kareem also from time to time in it, Allah subhanahu actually makes very profound statements about the nature of humanity. And so this is a fact, that the vast majority of humanity will always be people who are renegades and going against the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa And the rupt between this and what is coming before is specifically Allah subhanahu wa talking about judging on interpersonal and collective matters on the basis of deen. And in that sense then the vast majority would rather choose to judge and to deal with one another not on the basis of what Allah subhanahu has revealed but on the basis of either their own whims and fancies or desires or on the basis of their own invented man-made laws and systems. So that ayah is universally applicable today about the vast majority of people. And then Allah subhanahu says, أَفَهُكْمُ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ يَبْغُونَ That is it, the, is it the judgment of the time of jahiliyyah that they seek and that they yearn for? And so here what it's mentioning is the age of jahiliyyah, but it can also be of ignorance. It can be that any basis upon which to make a decision other than the, that which Allah Ta'ala has revealed is viewed by Allah Subhanahu to be ignorance. And it can also be referring to that they wish to go back to the pre-Islamic ways, which was also referred to by Allah Subhanahu in Qur'an as al-jahiliyyah, as the age of ignorance. وَمَنْ أَحْسُنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ حُكْمًا And who is it that can be more noble and more excellent in judgment, in procuring or proffering or declaring judgment than Allah subhanahu for such a community, for such a group of people who have sure, absolute conviction and yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So this is another thing for us to reflect upon that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has referred to any laws other than His as a jahiliyyah. And indeed this is again something I've mentioned before, mentioned yesterday, but mentioned again that we don't appreciate that if the Islamic laws were followed properly, and there may be people who are suggesting a way to follow them that is improper, but if they were followed in their proper form and in their proper sequence, which means in the books of classical Islamic law it is mentioned, that you must first establish economic justice, and then social justice, and then the criminal hudud may be implemented. You cannot enact the hudud unless there is social and economic justice in a society. Right? 
So the entire Islamic law doesn't just have a content, it has a more broad philosophy. And if it was implemented with both its content and its philosophy, then indeed it would be the most just system on earth. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, O you who believe, la tattakhudul yahuda wa nasara awliya abadhum awliya ubadh. That we did this topic before that don't take the Jews and Christians as your protecting friends, as your patrons, as your benefactors, as your intimate companions. In fact, ba'dhum awliya ubadh, some of them are indeed protectors and benefactors and patrons and intimate friends of one another. None of them will actually be a true benefactor and patron to you. Alright? Okay. وَمَن يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ مِنْهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ Here Allah SWT is saying that whichever one of you chooses one of them, whichever one of you goes ahead and chooses one of them, alright? Yatawalla means to make a willing. Yatawalla means to make somebody your willing. So whomsoever make minkum from you makes them your wali, then indeed, right, you will become as if you were like them. So here, what Allah SWT is saying in Qur'an, that when you become intimately close to a community, you become like one of them. And that's what, is another way to understand wali, right? So being their wali means, فَإِنُّهُ مِنْهُمْ Becoming like them, becoming one of them. So it's a deep level of intimate relationship that Allah SWT is forbidding. Again, I've explained before, cordial relations, professional relations, kindness, compassion, generosity, business dealings, all of that can be done. But that level of intimacy where you become one of them, that should not be done because that should only be done with the believers. And that's what Allah SWT is going to say in a moment. Indeed, Allah SWT will not guide a community who are unjust. This can be understood in two ways. Number one, it means that the Jews and Christians are unjust in terms of they don't accept Sayyidina Rasulullah and they don't accept Quran. So therefore, that group communities will never be fully rightly guided. Therefore, you would be unwise to make them your patrons and benefactors because Allah is saying is guaranteeing in Quran that they will never be rightly guided. So your benefactor and patron intimately friend would be somebody who's not rightly guided. So that wouldn't make sense to you. Second meaning could mean that if anybody who takes them Jews and Christians, as their awliya, then they would have committed a zulm on their own selves. They would have been an undone an injustice on themselves. And by doing that, they would have made themselves deprived of the hidayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَتَرَ الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ يُسَارِعُونَ فِيهِمْ يَكُولُونَ نَقْشَا أَن تُسِيبَنَا دَائِرَا فَأَسَ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ بِالْفَتْحِ أَوْ أَمْرٍ مِنْ إِنْدِهِ here the Spalta is saying that you will see that in those peoples in whose spiritual hearts lies a sickness. Maradhan literally means sickness, but in their spiritual hearts. What are the sicknesses that lie in the Kalub spiritual hearts? It can be greed, it can be pride, it can be lust, it can be materialism, it can be arrogance, it can be enmity, it can be envy. All of these things. Those who have such spiritual illnesses in their heart, what will you see? You will see that they run around, يُسَارِئُونَ فِيهِمْ يَقُولُونَ They run around them and they're racing around فِيهِمْ amongst the Jews and Christians. And what are they saying? They said that we fear that a change of fortune may afflict us. We fear the changing of the tide. We feel a change of the fortune. 
Indeed, perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may grant us victory. فَأَصَلَّهُ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ الْبِذْفَتِ Maybe Allah ta'ala may give us victory. O أَمْرٍ مِنْ إِنْدِهِ Or He may issue a decree from His own self, from His divine presence. فَيُسْبِهُ And then we will surely come. And Allah ta'ala mentions about these people that they will surely become nadimeen, they will surely become remorseful over that which they used to hide and conceal in their own selves. Here the different commentators have mentioned this could refer to different fat, different victories that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted the believers. The first is referring to Fatih Makkah. And maybe this is referring to the conquest of Makkah Makarimah that when the Munafikun, who were at the same time trying to be friends with believers, but at the same time trying to make the Jews their uliyah, when Fatih Makkah happens, then they will regret and they will have nadamat. Now here nadamat isn't that necessarily that type of toba nadamat. Here nadamat means that they will simply regret their two-facedness when their two-facedness is of no avail. They will regret their hypocrisy when their hypocrisy is no avail. And specifically, they will regret their decision to be intimately friends friends with the Jews of Medina when it turns out that the Jews of Medina will lose. Right? No, no questions. <laughs> All right? Okay. Second victory that is referred to that some say that no, it's referring to an earlier victory and this is specifically of the victory of the Muslims over the Jews of Khaybar and the Bani Qurayza and when they were expelled by Nabi Akrim Sallallahu and the Sahaba. So this is referring the, not to Fatih Makkah but the specific Munafiqin of Medina who had engaged in secret treaties and secret agreements and taken secret counsel with those Jews surrounding Medina Manawrah, when the Jews surrounding Medina Manawrah are defeated and vanquished, now the Munafikin will regret and be remorseful over what they did. amanu That those who believe, those who have true belief in their hearts, what will they say? That are these those people who used to swear, they used to take oaths in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They used to swear in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? So the munafiqeen sometimes, in order to convince people, they used to swear oaths with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most binding oaths. Jahda imanihim. The most binding of oaths. And what would they say? Innahum lama'akum. That they would say that indeed they were with you. In other words, they would pretend as if they were amongst the, with, with the believers, claiming to be with you. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about them? Habitat a'maluhum. All of their acts and deeds will become futile, will avail them not. فَأَصْبَهُ خَاسِرِينَ And soon they would discover themselves to be ultimate losers and in a complete state of loss. يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا You believe. مَنْ يَرْتَنْدَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ دِينِهِ Whomsoever from amongst you renounces his deen, becomes an apostate. فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ يُحِبُّهُمْ وَيُحِبُّونَهُ Then then surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can soon bring yet another community who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves them and they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this is referring to some people say, right, that when the monafics, they were going back and forth. Now there were two categories I did for you before. Those who actually had outright disbelief in their heart but pretended to believe in their, believe in their tongues. And there were others who were wavering in their iman. If they actually at some point made a decision, 100% to be open, blatant unbelievers, then they were the ones who were apostating from their deen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, it's okay, the Muslim Ummah won't be harmed in any way by losing you. 
You're, there won't be any loss, whether in numbers or in strength or in any way. And then indeed, Allah subhanahu will bring an entire whole community who will enter this deen of Islam, and they will be the complete opposite of nifaq. What will they be? Yuhibbuhum, Allah subhanahu will love them. Wa yuhibbunuhu, and they will love Allah subhanahu Alright? And generally this ayah has been generally been taken, yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbunahu, to first and foremost refer to the community of then the true sahaba, the non-munafiqeen sahaba, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves each and every one of them, and each and every one of them loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then secondly, because uh, they are a model for us and we are meant to follow them, then we are also supposed to feel that we are also a community, that if we follow the deen of Islam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love us and that we have to love them. أَذِلَّةٍ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَئِزَّةٍ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing two attributes of this new community who is going to enter Islam. And this is another way that there's the opposite of hypocrisy. They are going to be extremely soft and kind and compassionate and leaning and humble with the believers. And they're going to be extremely stern and unrelenting and not in any way leaning towards. So stern and unrelenting with the disbelievers. Another way this is the opposite of monophicine, that they were extremely relenting and interested with the disbelievers, and at times they were not compassionate, and they would sometimes mock the believers, especially those incidents, for example, we mentioned to you in Uhud. يُجَاهِدُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Another characteristic of these people who are going to come is that they are going to fight aggression in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it can also mean they will strive and struggle and make any and all sacrifices for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the last, last characteristic Allah Ta'ala is going to mention about this group, وَلَا يَخَافُونَ لَوْمَةَ لَائِمْ And they will not in any way be worried or concerned, literally means they will not fear, but they will not be worried or concerned at all about the blame or the censure of the person who blames or the critiques of the critics, right? لَوْمَةَ لَائِمْ means they couldn't care less if anybody blames them or censures them or reprimands them or maligns them or badmouths them. They're not interested at all. In what society or the world thinks of them, they will only, only be concerned with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thinks of them. ذَلَكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِهِ مَنْ And having all these attributes itself is going to arise from the fuzzle, the bounty and blessing and grace from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He gives it to whomsoever He wills. وَاللَّهُ وَاسِيُنْ alim. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His Zat is all-encompassing and He is all-knowing. So these are attributes that we should try to inculcate in ourselves. And one way we should try to inculcate them is also by making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah ta'ala is making clear in Qur'an that these attributes are going to be a gift that is bestowed from Him, from His fuzzle. So again, that Allah ta'ala loves us. Number two, that we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, that we're kind, compassionate, gentle, humble with the believers. Number four, we are stern and unrelenting and unconvinced and unswayed by unbelievers. Number five, that we strive for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every sense of the word. And number six, that we don't have any, we're not worried or bothered by the critiques of the critics or anybody's blame and censure. So these are attributes that a person should want to have. إِنَّمَا وَلِيُكُمْ Allahu. وَرَسُولُهُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Okay. Allah Ta'ala is saying, and indeed know that O community of believers, who is your wali? If Allah Ta'ala is saying in Quran that don't take the Jews and Christians as your walis, because who is your wali? And when you understand who has that status, then you will understand that no non-believer should ever be given that status. Who is your status? Number one, Allah. So Allah Ta'ala says, who is, who is your wali? Number one, Allah. 
Allah SWT said elsewhere in the Quran, Allahu waliyul ladhina amanu. In another ayah, Allah Ta'ala says, Allahu waliyul mu'mineen. It means that Allah SWT is the patron, benefactor, intimate friend, lover, and companion of the believers. So when Allah Ta'ala is your wali, then why would it make any sense to take somebody who disbelieves in the revelation from your Allah Qur'an, any Jew and Christian as your wali? Second, who is your wali? Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam is your wali. Number three, who is your wali? Alladina amanu are also your wali. Your fellow believers are your awliya. So who are your intimate friends? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet and your fellow believers. Now here comes a description of who those fellow believers are. Alladina yuqimuna salat, those who are firmly established on the salat. وَيَعْتُونَ الزَّكَاءَ And they regularly pay their zakat. وَهُمْ مُرَاكِعُونَ And they literally means they are people who bow. Now here ruku can be understood as several things. Ruku number one is that physical posture, right? Is the bowing in salah. Number two, ruku can simply be from rak'ah, which means they are the ones who offer cycles of prayer. And number three, if you take it even more by, it means that they are people of ibadah. They are people of ibadah. So they are offering their formal salah, they're paying their zakah, and overall they're people of ibadah. Or if you take a more general meaning from the meaning of bow, it means that rakyu means they're people who submit. It means that they're people who bow physically in salah, but overall they're bowing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, overall they're submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those people, waman, and whomsoever, makes as their wali, chooses as their wali, views their wali, makes their wali Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and amanu, and makes the believers their wali, فَإِنَّ هِزْبَ اللَّهِ هُمُ الْغَالِبُونَ That such a group, an aggregate of, a group of such individuals, will be viewed as Hizballah. Note, <laughs> right? Hizballah in terms of the Quranic sense means those... Literally, it can mean the party of Allah, the faction of Allah. It means those who belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has their back. Those who are going to act in this world for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His name. Right? Humul ghalibun. And they will be ghalib. means they will be triumphant. They will be victorious. They will be triumphant and victorious in the akhirah. And they will also be triumphant and victorious in this world. And then also specifically Allah Ta'ala can be, is it referring to in Qur'an, to military, right? That the believers felt that basically, the, sorry, the munafiqeen felt that they basically didn't want Islam to come to Medina Manora. So they thought the way to be successful in this goal, that Islam doesn't come to Medina Manora, the way to be triumphant is to have these secret dealings with the Jews and Christians and take them as awliya. So Allah SWT is saying, no, you will never, addressing them, you will never be ghalib. Who is going to be ghalib? Though that group and that community who has chosen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet and the fellow believers as awliya, that group will be ghalib. And certainly history bore that out in terms of Medina Manawra and in terms of Makkah Mukarma. Alright. Alright, similarly then the opposite is that if, if any time any one of us feel that the believers are not ghalib, if any time we feel that the believers are not <coughs> ghalib, it may mean that we have not really successfully had all of the attributes above, right? So first were those five or six I mentioned above, and then there were three more added here, in terms of salah, zakat, and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amalu la tattakhidhu ladhina tattakhidhu dinakum huzuwaw wa la'ibam minal ladhina utul kitab min kablikum. O you who believe, 
you should not take, and what does it mean? You shouldn't take as your friends. You should not make friends. Same word you can understand. You should not let the tachadud, the maful is muqaddar here. You should not take as awliya those people who have taken their deen huzuman lightly or as a jest. Those who mock the deen or who take the deen lightly or who make it, view it as a joke, bala'iban or view it as a trifle. From which people, min nadhina utul kitab, from amongst those people who have been given the book, min kablakum before you, wal kufara, and the disbelievers, you should not take any such people, awliya, as your intimate friends and patrons and benefactors. Here the maful is coming at the end. Alright? What does that mean? Now this verse specifically does mean, right, that you shouldn't take Jews and Christians who mock Islam, atheists, right, uh, people who are irreligious or anti-religious. And unfortunately, this group may be found within the believers. Although the Quran is saying that from amongst the Ahli Kitab and the disbelievers, those who mock religion or who take religion as a joke or view it as a trifling thing, you shouldn't take them as your awliya. But given that today there are people who fit the same characteristics, unfortunately, technically from Muslims, right, maybe agnostic or extremely secular, liberal, progressive Muslims who mock at certain teachings of Quran, who mock at certain sunnahs of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, or who take the deen lightly, then the same thing would be that don't take such people as your awliya. Does it mean they can be your friends, colleagues, they may even be your family members. You should still be soft to them, kind to them, gentle with them, try to invite them to the good. But don't take them as your olia. And what was again olia? That those people who, when you take them to such a level of friendship, then you become one of them. minhum. So it shouldn't be like that. right? And you will see this actually in this world. Almost every relationship between two people, there's always one person who's ghalib. There's always kisi ek karang ghalib there's always one who's the leader, whether it's of a group or if it's a pair. He's the one who decides what you do that day. Pretty much nine out of ten times, everybody will defer to his judgment, his wish. That is also a way you can understand who is a wali, right? So in that sense, who is going to be de facto or subconscious even leading us? Whose tendencies are we going to follow? Whose tendencies and leanings are going to be ghalib on us? That is who a wali is. So our walis then should be those people who are going, who themselves, what is ghalib inside of them is their deen. Should not be those people who view the deen as a mockery or a gesture or take it lightly. What taqullah and we should fear Allah subhanahu and be always conscious of Him. In kuntum mu'mineen, if indeed you are believers, if indeed you wish to remain believers, if indeed you wish to die believers, it can also be in the past. In kuntum mu'mineen, if indeed you have been believers up till now, if indeed your iman has had any effect on you up till now, Ittakullah, you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be feared and be aware of Him as as he deserves to be aware of. وَإِذَا نَادَيْتُمْ إِلَى salati, When they call you for salah, اِتَّخَدُوهَا هُزُوًا وَلَعِبَ Same thing. Same thing. When you call them for salah, what happens? The same thing that they take that salah as a mockery, as a jest, they take it lightly. Okay? This means number one, adhan. This was referring to the Munafikin would scurry around when they heard the Adhan. They would not want to hearken to the Adhan. You find the same activity over here, right? You find the same thing over here. You can see it every Friday in Juma, if nothing else. If you want to see, you do a sociological survey, you go to any bazaar in any place in Lahore, and you just sit there and 
Khair, you have, you can't do that, you'll miss your own Jummah. Maybe you have arranged some Jummah that you know there's some place where Jummah is at 2.30. So plan to pray there. Go at 1 o'clock and see when this local place's Adhan happens. See what impact it makes. See how many shops close down. See how many men close down their shops upon whom Jummah is fart. You'll be lucky to find one shop that closes down. In the whole bazaar, I'm telling you, you'll be lucky to find one, one shop in which all the men, because it's farther on men, right? On every man to go. Okay. Then what you should do is second, go into any shop and sit there and why don't you see how much they sell? What are their sales during that Jummah? Be lucky to find one that crosses 10,000 rupees. I doubt that most of them would sell in that time that it would take them to pray the Fard of Jummah. They will sell anywhere from 500 to 3,000 rupees. So it means, and there will be three, four men doing that. Right? It won't be even just one man. So three, four men violated the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for maybe a thousand rupees. And this is not a minority. <laughs> this is the norm. Now you tell me, was Allah ta'ala going to put barakah on such a society? Is Allah ta'ala going to put barakah on such an economy? And there's no shame at all. You would think that, okay, even here at least, you know, I mean, sorry, not here, but you would think that maybe they will close their shutters, Right? Maybe they'll secretly do the business. At least there'll be some level of shame. No. Unabashed, unhesitant, flagrant violation of the commandments of Allah SWT. That's a problem, right? That's what it means to take it as a mockery. Allah Ta'ala's mu'adhan is calling out, Hayala salah. And the person is not even interested at all. That's, don't think that taking mockery just always means by using sarcastic and snide language. That's why they say in English, actions speak louder than words. If any man in any shop, in any bazaar, doesn't go to Jummah after hearing the azan, he is making a mockery of Islam. If he says he's a believer, if he says I'm an atheist, that's a separate thing, right? But if he says I'm Muslim, and he doesn't go, he's making a mockery, right? And you can think about it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't have to make this thing called adhan, right? So this issue of nadaytum. It could have just been that these are the times you go pray, that's it. But Allah Ta'ala made that system that there's always a call. Therefore, those who respond to the call get a sawab even just for hearkening to the call of their Rabb. And the system has the other feature that those who don't respond to it, they get that sin. And they, they're guilty of this mockery that they don't respond to the call of their Rabb. On the one hand, they say, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Then that same wadhan who said, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, Muhammad then said, Hayal salah He invoked that same kalima that we claim to believe in. Right? He connected to us on the basis of that kalima, and then he said, Hayal salah And then we didn't go for salah. So that means we're making a mockery. Right? Now, would any person in any company not go to the boardroom when the boss calls a meeting? How about if there's a PA system? And some, some offices have that. Once I was in Swiss Southern Gas and there was a PA system, right? And I remember they made an announcement. He would make an announcement, all employees come to the conference room on floor 5. What's going to happen if one of the employees doesn't go for no reason whatsoever? Hmm? He'll be fired like this, <laughs> right? So Allah Spanta has an authority over us. He has created a PA system of adhan to invite us to salah. Alright? So when we don't hearken to that, we are guilty of this. And Allah Ta'ala is saying now that what is wrong with them, <coughs> their mockery of deen and they're taking it lightly is because they are a community who have no sense. 
la yakulun. They have no sense whatsoever. They don't understand the ramifications of deen, of salah. They don't understand the ramifications of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Qul say, my beloved Messenger Sam, ya ahlul kitabi, O people of the book, hal tan kimuna minna illa an amanna billahi wa ma unzila ilayna wa ma unzila min qablu wa anna aktharakum fasikun. Okay, say my beloved Messenger and the people of Scripture. Do you disapprove, Tankimun? Are you against us? Or do you disapprove of us? Do you aver yourself from us? Illa an amanna billahi. Right? For any reason other than, any reason other than the fact that we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we believe in that which has been revealed to us, Quran al and we believe in that which was revealed before, i.e. what has been revealed to you. And say to the ma'ana aktharakum, and indeed the vast majority of you, falsikun, are immoral and corrupt sinners. Right? Qul, say to them, Hal unabbi'ukum bisharrim min thalika mathubatan indallah That should I inform you of something that's even more the evil, something that is even more evil than that, something that is even more worse than that. In terms of mathuba, mathuba means the recompense that comes from thawab. It means of what you will be meted out, what you will be meted out with in the law from Allah SWT. Man la'anahu Allahu wa ghadiba alayhi wa ja'ala minhumul qiradata wal khanazira wa abadat taghut. And what is that? That those whom Allah SWT has cast outside of His mercy... Right, those of Allah cast us, and Allah Taala's wrath has befallen them. Allah Subhanahu has made from them monkeys and pigs. And before we did the ayah about some human beings from the ethnic Kitab, from the Bani Israel being made into apes, you can translate apes, monkeys, primates, chimpanzees, gorillas, missing links, however you want. All right, okay. Well, Khanazir. Now that this what that was mentioned. Khanazir is the plural of Khanzir, and into pigs. Or sometimes another word they use in English for this is swine. Right? Okay. Wa'abadathagut. And finally, there who abada abada those of you did sarfna, this is daraba. Isam file jama mukasar. Jama mukasar mazakar. Right? Dharabun dharabani dharabun dharaba. Abada. Abadathagut, they are the worshippers of either idols or they are the worshippers of shaitan. They are worshippers of idols or they are worshippers of shaitan. Alright. Ulaika Sharrum Makana that these people are the worst, worst people in status and where they are. Wa Adallu Ansawa is and they are the most astray from the straight path. They are the most furthest away from the straight path. Wa Idajaukum and when you when they come to you, Kalu Amanna, they say that we believe. Wakadakhalu Bilkufri. But actually, in actuality, they've come to you in a state of disbelief. They've entered disbelief. And indeed, they will go away with disbelief. So when they come to the Prophet and they come to the believers, they enter saying, we believe. Actually, they've come with disbelief and they will leave with disbelief. What does it mean they will leave with disbelief? It means because they didn't come sincere. They didn't come honest. So they won't have tawfiq for iman. Otherwise, normally when a person came to Sayyidina Rasulullah, something would happen. An effect would occur. A transference would occur. 
But because these people come already sealing their own hearts by concealing their kufr, they come in lying. They come in with nifaq, so they will leave in the same way that they entered. They entered on unbelief. They will also exit your presence in a state of unbelief. Wallahu a'lamu bima kanu yaktumun. And indeed, Allah Subhanahu is extremely knowing about each and every single thing that they conceal in themselves. وَتَرَى كَثِيرًا مِنْهُمْ يُصَارِعُونَ فِي الْإِثْمِ And then you will see that many, many of them are racing around, resorting to, hastening to, فِي الْإِثْمِ to do sin, well, sin, disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالْأُدْوَان and enmity and hostility. You can also translate ithm and udwan as they're racing to crime and injustice. وَأَقْلِهُمُ الصُّحْتِ And they are trying to consume those things that have been made haram and forbidden or those things that are impure and forbidden to them. لَبِئْسَ مَا كَانُوا And terrible it is مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Each and every single thing that they are doing. Terrible it is each and every single thing that they are doing. بِئْسَ you can also translate as evil. Alright. Lola Yanahahumur Rabbaniyuna. So why is it that they're Rabbaniyun, which means their rabbinical class, right? This Hebrew word rabbinical also came from this notion of being Allah, right? So why is it that those who are devoted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why don't they prevent them from this? Well, Ahbar and their scholars, right? So why don't their spiritual leaders and their scholar leaders prevent them, stomp them? Ankolihimul Ithma. And in terms of the statements that they make which are sinful and in terms of their consuming the unlawful and they're prohibited. And each and everything that they commit, evil indeed is every single thing that they are committing. All right. Here, uh, the first thing that we did in this ayah, in this passage, which was verse number 57, right? When... No... Sorry, 59. When this call was made to the Ahl Kitab that you dislike us, you spurn us, you hate us, only because we believe. Only because we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what was revealed to us and what was revealed before. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Do you have hatred and enmity and hostility and you spurn us and you avert yourself from us? Only because we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we believe in Qur'an. So it means what's suggesting here is nothing to do with civilization, has nothing to do with culture. It's an enmity based on deen, on spirituality. Right? And this was maybe not necessarily true of the Ahl Kitab of today, but this was true of the Ahl Kitab of the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. That their entire disagreement and hostility and hatred even, up to the level of hatred for the believers, was simply because of the deen of the believers. Now that's a very different type of enmity. Normally people have enmity in the past because of race or ethnicity or land disputes or border conflicts, right? People may have enmity because of crimes and injustice they did to one another. This is actually a terrible type of enmity to hate someone simply because of their deen. So for the Ahl Kitab to hate the believers simply because of the deen that the believers are on. All right.
Then what we just mentioned over here, that why isn't it, Although this is originally being mentioned about the Jews, the Mufassirina said this should also apply to Muslims, that if there's a Muslim scholar or a Muslim sheikh, so Rabbaniyun, so Arkul and Rabbaniyun, as we use the same word in Quran, Allah Ta'ala's used for the awliya of this ummah, Ahabar, for us Allah Ta'ala's used the word in Quran, ulama. So if the awliya and ulama of this ummah don't stop, somebody who is underneath them from doing some evil practice, that is also being reprimanded here in Quran. Right? And you find there are certain people who, hmm, let's say they have some incorrect views, and sometimes when you go to them and you try to ask them, they say, oh, basun ko karnido, amun ko Right? Let them do what they want, we don't want to say anything to them. But if you are in a position... Right, in which this person has fondness and respect for you, and you know that they're doing some type of sin, and you know that your verbal reprimand, right, that's a separate thing. Many times a person may have students who do sin, but the students know it's a sin. They're doing it because of their nafs, they're doing it because of laziness, that's something else. What's being talked about here is sanction. So you cannot sanction sin, you cannot sanction evil. So that silent that silence which is tantamount to consent and sanction for sin, that is being reprimanded over here. So it's necessary that all the Oliyan ulama of this ummah must make clear to any of their students and any of those who respect them what is sin. So that at least they've been given the information as to what is sin. And they should not be silently complicit in the sin that any person does. Alright. Makalatul Yehudu. And so the Jews used to say, Yadullahi Maghlula. Literally means the hand of Allah subhanahu is bound. And I told you before that Yad doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu has a hand. It means that Allah subhanahu's power and might over us is somehow restricted or is bound. Ghullat Aidihim. So Allah Ta'ala uses the same words against them that no, it is their hands that are bound. Their hands are bawalu and they have been accursed and have been cast outside Allah Ta'ala's mercy, Bimakalu due to what they used to say. Bal Yadahu Mabsutatan. But in fact that even further, know that the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now obviously this is just a metaphor. Yada, those of you again who study Sarf, this is Tathniya Yadan, but the Nuna Tathniya is dropped because of Izafa to the Huzamir. Bal Yadahu literally means, but the two hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are cast wide, means they're wide open. Right? But it doesn't mean literally. Just like in Urdu you say the word hand figuratively, you say Allah ta'ala ku kula Right? That literally exactly would be, that would be the literal actually Urdu translation of this sentence. Balki Allah ta'ala ku kula in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power and might and reign and sovereignty over them is absolutely unrestrained, unrestricted in any way whatsoever. Yunfiku kefa yasha and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving them or spending on them but bestowing upon them in whatever which way He wishes. وَلَا يَزِيدَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُمْ مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ تُغْيَانًا وَكُفْرًا Allah saying is that, but what has been revealed to you from your Rabb? And indeed and certainly what has been revealed to you, ma'unzila ilayka, what has been revealed to you, Sayyidina Rasulullah what will that do to them? لَيَزِيدَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُمْ It will surely, certainly increase many of them, right? تُغْيَانُ kufra In their disobedience and their disbelief. Now it should have been the other way around. 
that the Ahlul Kitab would increase in their obedience and belief because of Qur'an. But actually they are going to increase in their disobedience and disbelief because of Qur'an, because of their spite and their envy and their hatred for this other deen. وَأَلْقَيْنَا بَيْنَهُمُ الْأَدَاوَةَ وَالْبَغْضَاءَ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ And Allah Ta'ala says, and we have placed between them hostility, enmity, and hostility, and hatred, and malice, and spite, إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ Until the end of time, until the day of judgment. But we did a similar thing before, where Allah Ta'ala mentioned in this very same surah, that He did this between and amongst Christians. Here it's being mentioned between and amongst, both between and amongst Christians and Jews. Now this can mean, that can be the first meaning. It doesn't mean that never ever could they unite, right? The Qur'an is not proven false if there's any, this is talking about by and large, for the vast majority of them, for the vast majority of their history, they will have enmity and hostility between them and for one another. Second thing can also mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in their hearts these feelings of enmity and hostility. Many times they'll be directed at one another. Sometimes they'll be directed at oneself, right? And they're just people of uh, Adawa and Baghdad. Kullama awkadu naran lil harbi atfa'aha Allah. Wa yas'awna fil ardi fasada. Wallahu la yuhibbul mufsideen. Here Allah SWT is referring to them as people of fasad. What does it mean? It means that Allah SWT is saying is that they will end, uh, that we have put enmity and hatred between them until the day of resurrection. Every time they kindle the fire of war, every time they kindle the fire of war, kullama okudu naran lil harb. Every time they make this resolve to fight you in aggression and they kindle the fire of war, what does Allah subhanahu wa taala do? At Allah subhanahu extinguishes that fire that they light. So it can also mean their flame of their passions. It can also mean their military preparations. Whatever they do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extinguishes it. وَيَسْعَوْنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ fasada, And they travel this earth striving to create discord and sedition. وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُفْسِدِينَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love any such people or any such community that tries to create discord and sedition on this earth. وَلَوْ أَنَّ أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ آمَنُوا وَاتَّقَوْا لَكَفَّرْنَا أَنْهُمْ سَيَّعَاتِهِمْ وَلَأَدْخَلْنَاهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ نَعِيمٍ And were only the Ahl kitab to have believed and feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah ta'ala is saying that we would have made that iman and taqwa of theirs an expiation and kafara for their sayyat, for all of their sins. We would have wiped off all of their sins, we would have expiated all of their sins, and surely and certainly we would have admitted them and made them into enter, Jannatin Naim, into the most beautiful and wondrous of gardens, i.e. they would have entered into Jannah. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ أَقَامُوا التَّوْرَةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلَ وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ لَأَكَلُوا مِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ وَمِنْ تَحْتِ أَرْجُلِهِمْ مِنْهُمْ أُمَّةٌ مُقْتَصِدَةٌ Alright, here Allah SWT is mentioning in Qur'an Al-Kareem a particular incident which is a particular rebellion of the Jews. Alright? Here, it, in, in, in the first thing which begins uh, this issue of uh, the Jews saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hands are bound. This happened when the Jews felt that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had bestowed upon them a great amount, an abundant amount of wealth. 
and the Sahaba Ikram that same year were faced with a difficulty in their produce or in their crop. So the Jews felt that, look, Allah, you are the ones who are believing in Allah. We are the ones who are disbelieving Him. But we have gotten this abundant produce and wealth, and your produce and wealth has been limited. So they, that, that is what made them say this, that Allah Ta'ala's hand is restrained. So Allah responded to them that this is just blasphemy and this is not in any way. And then where Allah said, Yunfiku uh, that Allah spans, meaning He bestows wealth howsoever He wishes. So this was your own rationality, Jews, that you thought that because the believers have believed, they will get the higher produce, and because you have disbelieved, you will get the less produce. But Allah Ta'ala is saying, Yunfiku Allah spends and bestows wealth however He wants. So this is another important lesson for us to learn, that people shouldn't think that the fact that any non-Muslim community or country has financial uh, superiority or in terms of financial strength over a Muslim community or country, that that means that they are in any way favored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or that their deen or lack thereof or that their atheism is correct. Nor does it mean within Muslims that any you know Gulf countries are somehow more correct in their understanding of deen than Yemen and then other Arab countries because Allah ta'ala has given one more than the other. Financial, mm, financial wealth and financial health in this world is not tied directly to a person's spirituality. So this is also uh, something that a person should look at individually as well. I always mention communities and countries. An individual shouldn't think that, you know, I'm a person who prays Salah and so-and-so is an atheist, but the atheist gets the promotion and I didn't get the promotion. Why did Allah Ta'ala do that? Right? So the answer to that, all of that is simply what Allah Ta'ala says, Yunfiku kayfa yasha. Separately, however, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned that there are many, many features of taqwa and deen that if a person follows them, and once we counted out to you, I think, 18 or 19 such things in a talk, that if a person does those things on deen, Allah Ta'ala will increase their risk, right? So there are ways to increase in your risk based on deen and taqwa. But still, nothing will change this rule, yunfiku kayfa yasha, that Allah Ta'ala spends and bestows and grants financial wealth on the basis of whatever He wishes and however He wants. Okay. Second thing that the Jews did was that they were stoking the flames of war, right? They were igniting the flames of war by inciting people, right? By instigating people. Sometimes the Jews were instigating the Kufat Mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarramah, telling them that, you know, we have this treaty with the Muslims in Medina, but we won't actually come and join them militarily if you attack them. We will violate the treaty, we will break the treaty. That was a way to instigate them that you should go ahead and you should attack. This is why ultimately then, the Jews of Bani Nadir and Bani Kureza were both, Bani Nadir were completely finished and Bani Kureza were expelled and exiled to Khaybar. Again then, even when they went to Khaybar, they again rebelled and they again engaged in mischief and aggression. So again then, Sahabi Kram then engaged them in a battle and eventually the Jews of Bani Kureza were defeated at Khaybar as well. All right. Then Allah SWT is mentioning that, look, don't you see all of these worldly defeats that you have faced? Wouldn't it not have better if you had accepted Iman? If only you had accepted Iman, Allah Ta'ala is opening the door for them again, that you would have been forgiven all your sins. All of these sins, by the way, it means these sins. All of your machinations and all of your cunning and all of your plottings and conspiring against Sahaba of Medina all the magic and spells you tried to cast and say, all of that would be forgiven if you were to accept Iman and become believers and you also would have been able to enter into Jannah. And the last part of this ayah 
is referring to Here Allah SWT is simply saying here in this last part of the ayah, لَأَكَلُوا مِنْ فَوْكِهِمْ وَمِنْ تَحْتِ أَرْجُلِهِمْ That indeed they would have eaten from even from above and even from what lies under their feet. It means Allah Ta'ala would have given them so much plenty produce, right, in this world that they would be surrounded by food, they could eat from above and eat from below. Or it can mean that in terms of the jannah that Allah Ta'ala would admit them into, in that jannah they will really learn what plenitude is if they're priding themselves in the fact that they received a good produce in this world, if they had entered, if they took iman and were able to reach Jannah, then they would see what Allah's plenitude is, such that they would be given fruits to eat from, and foods to eat from, from, uh, from above them and from even under their feet. Minhum and from amongst this Ahl kitab there are going to be two types, Ummatum Muqtasida, and then, وَكَثِيرٌ مِّنْهُمْ سَاءَمَا يَأْمُلُونَ So from amongst them you're going to find one type of group, and the first group are going to be those who are muqtasida. Muqtasida means literally from iqtisad. It can mean those who are well-intentioned, those who are well-centered, those who are well-balanced. However, the vast majority of them, kathir, the abundant uh, majority of them are going, minhum from amongst the al-kitab are going to be what? Sa'ama ya'malun. That they are going to be terrible. Indeed, it is the things that they do. Evil will be the things that proceed from them. All of their actions and commissions can be described as nothing other than evil. Sa'a is the verb from su. Su also means evil. Ya ayyuhal rusul. So this is the second time that came that, Oh, my beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is an ayah Allah Ta'ala mentioning specifically to the Prophet Sallallahu ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. That you should transmit and you should share and you should... Mm, uh, exposit that which Allah Ta'ala has re- that which has been revealed to you from your Rabb. وَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلْ Now here, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, now this is just a hypothetical statement, right? This is a purely hypothetical statement, but it's also one of those places I mentioned to you, these ayat, when Allah Ta'ala shows His azmat even on Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, And that is there especially by addressing this ayah specifically to the Prophet Ya ayyuhal Rasul, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says in وَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلْ And were you not to have done that, were you not to do that the bleak were you not to share and transmit what Allah Ta'ala, what has been revealed to you from your Rabb, فَمَا بَلَّغْتَ الرِّسَالَتَهُ Then you would have not fulfilled the mission of your prophethood, of your messengerhood. وَاللَّهُ يَعْسِمُكَ مِنَ nas. And then, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting you from humanity. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الْكَافِرِينَ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not guide the community of disbelievers. Right? So, what is this verse? This verse is that when Sayyidina Rasulullah, he says, Sayyidina Hassan, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was the grandson of the Prophet mentioned, that this verse was revealed when the Prophet expressed fear at being tasked with this tremendous responsibility of Nubuwa, of being a messenger and a prophet. So Sayyidina Rasulullah was humbled by this, but he was also worried that this is such a incredible responsibility, and that in, that, in the responsibility sense, a burden that was placed on the Prophet so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed Sayyidina Rasulullah that no, you simply have to propagate, teach, preach, transmit whatever it is that has been revealed to you from your Rabb. Alright. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how could he convey that message when the people were opposed to him? How can he convey it when the people are opposed to him? So now, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to him that you have to do it anyway. For in lam tafal that if you don't transmit it, then you will not be considered as having conveyed Allah Ta'ala's message. Then Allah Ta'ala said that don't worry that people aren't listening to you. Wallahu ya'simuka. Allah Ta'ala is protecting you. Know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting you from all of these people. So you're going to go to the people and transmit the message to them. But you're going to go in such a state that Allah Ta'ala is going to put you in His protection from all of these people. In Allah la al kafirin. And then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not guide a disbelieving nation. Right? Okay. When Sayyidina Rasulullah gathered Sahaba Ikram at Arafah, he asked them a question. You will be questioned, you will, he told the Sahaba Ikram and Hajjat Ubadan that you will all be asked by Allah on the day of judgment regarding me, and regarding the Prophet So what will you say? So all the Sahaba Ikram responded that we will testify that you conveyed the message, you fulfilled your trust, and you advised the Ummah. So at this Sayyidina Rasulullah looked towards the sky, and he said that, O oh Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, he said thrice, O oh Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, bear witness, bear witness, bear witness. The hadith in Sahih Muslim, and that is Sayyidina Rasulullah then feeling that he had now saved himself from this even hypothetical statement of this ayah, وَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلْ Because that he had done it, and the entire ummah then testified that he did it, that he did indeed transmit the entire, and propagate and teach the entire message that was revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Here, one thing to mention over here that is important is that there is a particular theology that suggests that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu that Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala who should be the leader after him but the Prophet chose not to reveal that to the Sahaba. So this is not a theory of prophethood that we can ever accept. Right? So when we're sometimes assessing these different theologies we're going to say that okay look if what they're saying is true, how will that impact on our concept of nubuwat? How does that tally with the Quranic concept of nubuwa? So the Quranic concept, the Quranic concept of nubuwa is that Sayyidina Rasulullah some every single thing, ma unzila. Those of you who studied Rasulullah Shashi, ma's am, ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. That each and every single thing that is revealed to you from your rub, the Prophet did share it. All right. He did share it, so there can be no such revelation that Sayyidina Rasulullah concealed and revealed. Alright? And this cannot be the basis of any type of theology. Kul ya ahl kitab, O people of the book, lastum ala shay'in. You are not on anything, you are standing on no feet, you have nothing to stand on. Unless, hatta tukimu tawrata wal injila wa ma unzila ilaykum min rabbikum. Unless you stand upon and live up tukima and you establish and live according to the Torah and the Injil and which has been revealed to you from your Rabb, i.e. the third thing means Qur'an al-Kareem. وَلَا يَزِيدَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُمْ مَا أُنزِلَ أَلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ تُغْيَانًا وَكُفْرًا Same thing Allah Ta'ala, but now Allah Ta'ala is addressing them. And indeed what has been revealed... Uh, 
what has been revealed to you from your Rub is only going to increase them, increase the vast majority of them in their disobedience and their disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala is addressing the Prophet, do not feel sad, do not grieve, do not be, do not despair, al kafirin, over such a community who has voluntarily chosen to disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who are stubborn in that belief. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَالَّذِينَ هَادُوا وَالسَّابِئُونَ وَالنَّسَارَ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزُنُونَ That indeed those who believe, and those who are Jews, and those who are Sabians, and those who are Christians, each and every one of them who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the last day and performs righteous deeds and actions, worship and otherwise, then there will be no fear upon them and nor shall they grieve. Alright. Here we had explained this to you earlier when we did similar eyes in Surah Bakr Surah Al-Imran. This is not suggesting that these other religions are all equally valid because other verses of Quran clearly established the invalidity of other religions after the time of the Prophet ﷺ. What here Allah SWT is talking about historical communities. Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that unlike, for example, the Jews who felt that only the Jews will be in Jannah, no community prior to them and no community after to them. Allah Ta'ala is showing in the Quran that the Islamic teaching is that yes, henceforward only Muslims will be in Jannah, but it's not our view that Muslims alone will be in Jannah. The previously historical communities who were rightly guided and followed the scripture that was sent to them and believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of them will also be in Jannah as well. La khawfun alayhim wa lahum means, right, literally there's no fear on them nor shall they grieve, i.e. that they will be admitted into Jannah. لَقَدْ أَخَلْنَا مِثَاكَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ وَأَرْسَلْنَا إِلَيْهِمْ رُسُلًا كُلَّمَا جَاءَهُمْ رُسُولٌ بِمَا لَا تَهْوَىٰ أَنفُسُهُمْ فَرِيكًا كَذَّبُوا وَفَرِيكًا يَقْتُلُونَ Indeed, then we seized and we took a covenant and a pledge from the Bani Israel and we sent to them many, many prophets and messengers. Each and every one came to them, each and every prophet came to them bringing things that their nafs didn't like. Bringing things that their nafs didn't wish for. Bringing things that went against their whims and fancies and desires. Alright. So what happened when that, when they did that? They either, there were two groups. There were two things they did. With some of the anbiya, they just refused to accept them as anbiya. Kadhabu, so farikan for a group of prophets, they just said, they falsified them. They said, you're not prophets. And farikan for other prophets, what did they do? Yaktulun, they killed them. So it's showing the history of the Bani Israel that either whenever Allah Ta'ala sent a prophet to them, they refused and repudiated. You can say that for they repudiated their nubuat. Or secondly, then there was a group of other prophets who Allah Ta'ala sent who this people from Bani Israel killed those prophets outright altogether. وَحَسِبُوا أَلَّا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ فَأَمُوا ثُمَّ أَمُوا وَسَمُوا كَثِيرٌ مِّنْهُمْ وَاللَّهُ بِسِيرٌ بِمَا يَأْمَنُونَ Alright. Here what happens is that they thought that there would not be any fitna. Hasibu, their thinking was, their estimation was that there would not be any fitna based on what they did. They thought that they could get away with this. They thought they could get away with this. So what happened? فَأَمُوا they became blind. وَسَمُوا they became deaf. Thumma, then later Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relented upon them and accepted their tawbah. But then again they chose a path that made many of them became blind and became deaf. Wallahu basirun bima ya'malun. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware and all seeing of each and everything that they do.
All right. Here Sayyidina Zadith in the Sahih Bukhari, Sayyidina Bab in the Samad Unna narrates that when the Sahabah Ikram pledged their allegiance to the Prophet they made this allegiance that we will sami'na wa ata'na, that we will hear and we obey. And that is contrasted here to the allegiance that the Bani Israel swore to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when the Bani Israel thought that they could do this rebellion and get away with it without any punishment, they either thought this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't punish them immediately, or they thought this because they considered themselves to be favored and chosen and beyond the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in this way, they grew even more rebellious. They started disobeying and disbelieving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more and more and more. They even became blind in this sense. You can say they became blind to the Anbiya. They became blind to them. They couldn't recognize them. They became blind to them. They weren't moved by the mu'jizat, miracles that Allah Ta'ala sent with the NBI. They became blind to them. They means that they themselves veiled themselves and cloaked themselves from their anbiya. Right? And they were deaf means in terms of they weren't listening. They were immune to the words, the preaching that the prophets were doing. They turned themselves deaf to the preaching of the truth. So even when the anbiya had persuaded them and taught them to wait to make tawbah, Thumma, even after that they chose to be blind to the tawbah, the fact that Allah Ta'ala accepts their tawbah, and they chose to be deaf to the vast majority of them, chose to be blind to that and chose to deafen themselves against that. But Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is all aware of each and every single thing that they do. Right, so this is clear that anybody who believes that Sayyidina Isa salam, has any divinity in him is being described by the Qur'an is not as a believing Christian Ahli Kitab who will enter into Jannah is being described in the Qur'an as a member of the Kuffar. Indeed, disbelieved has each and every one of those people who used to stay, used to say or state that, in, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Masih ibn Maryam and knows that Isa is God. Right, that Jesus is God. Right? Waqal al-Masihu. Now what did Sayyidina Isa salam, say? Ya Bani Israel, Abdullah, Rabbi wa Rabbukum. So Allah Ta'ala is making it clear that don't think that say, don't give me this story that no, we said that Isa is God because he told us that he was God. Don't say that. Allah Ta'ala is saying, I'm going to tell you what he said. That Sayyidina Isa Islam used to say to the Bani Israel in the community that he was addressed, that he, he was sent as a prophet to, O Abdullah, worship Allah, Rabbi who is my Rabb wa Rabbukum and who is also your Rabb. إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَكَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةَ That know indeed that that person who has ascribed and associated any partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and means including ascribing divinity to Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam فَكَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made jannat haram on such a person. Means there is no way any such person will ever be able to enter Jannah. And in fact, indeed, their dwelling place and their residence and their eternal abode will be the fire of Jahannam. And indeed, those who are unjust and uh, who are unjust and wrongdoers, there will be no helper for them. The rupt here is that means that when they're in that fire of Jahannam, because they committed this zulm, this incredible injustice of ascribing divinity to Satan Islam, there will be no might or power that will be able to help them lessening that fire or in helping them to remove that from that fire. And similarly indeed, those who say that Allah SWT is the third of three, they have also committed disbelief. So clear mention of the Trinity again. Second time it's coming in Quran. Right? That they say God is one of three. Right? What was it for them? Oh, 
Jesus, God, and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. But for some of them, I think it's Jesus, God, and Maryam, right? Okay. So, so Allah SWT is saying that anybody who says such a thing is also an unbeliever. وَمَا مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ إِلَّا إِلَٰهُ وَاحِدٍ And know that there is no deity, no divinity, no God, no supreme being, إِلَّا إِلَٰهُ وَاحِدٍ Except for that one singular God. وَإِن لَمْ يَنْتَهُ أَمَّا يُقُولُونَ لَيَمَسَّنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْهُمْ أَذَابٌ أَذِينَ So if they do not refrain, if they do not refrain from the things that they say, if they do not cease or seed, uh, hold back from the things that they do not desist from what they say, then indeed an excruciating punishment, adabun alim, an extremely painful punishment, will fall upon all of the, any such person who says any such things, will fall, layamassanna means literally, will, mm, will, you can say, will fall upon those who disbelieve. أَفَلَا يَتُوبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَيَسْتَغْفِرُونَهُ وَاللَّهُ غُفُرُ رَحِيمٌ that indeed, why don't they make toba to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek Allah ta'ala's forgiveness? If they were to do so, they would find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving, all merciful. Mal Masihu ibn Maryam illa rasul. So Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam is nothing other than a prophet. This is also important, right? Uh, that the deen of Islam believes in the nabuat of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. That Sayyidina Isa salam has, it's a very exalted status to be a nabi. That's the greatest form of creation, the greatest form of humanity, but also the greatest form of creation. And the Anbiya is superior to the Malaika, right? The Anbiya is superior to the angels. Kad khalat min rusul. And indeed, many, many, <coughs> many, many prophets and messengers have passed before him. Wa ummuhu siddika. MashaAllah. And his mother, Sayyidatana Maryam radiallahu ta'ala, is siddika. Siddiq, if you remember, siddikeen are the greatest rank of humanity after the Anbiya. Another interesting nisbat here is that when Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam called Sayyidatana Aisha Ummul Mu'mineen radiallahu ta'ala anha Aisha to Siddiqa, the same Nabi Akhrasam was revealed the same Qur'an. So he knew he was doing tashbih with, so he meant by that that Sayyidatana Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha Ummul Mu'mineen, she is like Sayyidatana Mayyam radiallahu ta'ala anha. She is Siddiqa and she is Siddiqa. Right? Okay. Now Allah is saying that, look, neither of them have divinity because both the mother and Sayyidina Isa and both of them used to eat food. Just as an example, that this would be way beyond, this is far below the sha'an of a divinity to have the need to consume food, to need energy, to have any need, to grow weary if they're hungry. So Allah SWT is using the simplest of examples to explain to them that they are not uh, eating. But you know, I mean, the Christians of today, this, this type of logic doesn't work for them. Because many times when they have their ceremonies, there's like a wafer or a biscuit, and there's a little goblet of wine, and they think they're actually eating the flesh and the blood of Sayyidina Isa. It's, you know, so this, this thinking, is, I don't think it's going to work on them, because they have a totally different concept even of eating and edibles and what eating means. All right? Undur kayfa nubayyinu lahumul ayati, you fakun. Here we should be grateful to Allah SWT and always remember that it's only Allah Ta'ala's karam and his fazl on us that he's accepted us for deen of Islam. 
and he has guided us to this pure deen. Otherwise, any one of us at any time may have also have thought like that. There's nothing in any of us that we have, and we don't have such thoughts that we could be eating the flesh or drinking the blood of a prophet or a son of God or God incarnate or anything like that. So this is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa on us. Unzur, so look, kaifa nubayyinu lahum al-ayat, that look how clearly Allah Ta'ala is saying that look, O believers, how clearly we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are making manifest our ayat for them. Thummanzur anna yufakun, and then after that, look at them, how they spurn this, how they spurn and turn away from these clear signs. Qul, ata'buduna min dunillahi, ma la yamluku lakum wala, is it called say my beloved to them that do you worship anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Such a being that does not have any might or sovereignty or possession and does not have any wala nafan does not have the ability to harm you in any way, does not have the ability to bring benefit to you in any way, right? Means that say that the Namarian Badilatanhan Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam they're don't in the state that they're in now, if a Christian is worshipping them, they don't have the ability to give you any benefit, they don't have the ability to harm you in any way. Wallahu huwa samiul alim, whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the being who is all listening and is all knowing. You know, Sayyidina Islam can't even hear your du'as. All of the offerings that you're making to him, he can't hear that. Say, say that the Maryam Allah, she can't hear the things. She can't hear the Hail Marys. She's not being hailed. <laughs> There's no frequency. Alright? So, Wallahu huwa samiul but it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is all listening. So Allah SWT is trying to reach out to them to make them understand. Al-Alim and Allah Ta'ala is all-knowing. قُلْ يَا أَهْلُ الْكِتَابِ لَا تَغْلُوا فِي دِينِكُمْ Don't go, oh, oh people of the scripture, don't go to excesses, don't have ta'asub, don't be overly prideful on your particular way of understanding your deen. غَيْرَ الْحَقِّ In a way, in a manner that is untrue. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا أَهْوَاءَكُمْ مِنْ and don't follow the whims and desires and fancies of a community that had gone astray before you. And not only were they astray, but they led many, many people astray. And how were they astray? They were far away from the straight path. Here, uh, number one, what's being mentioned here is that for the Christians, they're being referred to that don't go astray like the community before you, which means the Jews, right? Just as the Jews went astray, that they were set and firm on their beliefs, and they didn't accept Sayyidina Isa Islam as a prophet. Secondly, it can mean that there was a certain group of Jews who thought that Sayyidina Uzair Islam was the son of Allah, so don't you go astray and be like them, then now you think that the prophet that was sent to you, Sayyidina Isa Islam, he was the son of Allah. Right, and not only did those previous communities, that previous community, go astray, but they also led astray many, many people. And what type of being led astray? They were astray, and they led astray people far away from the straight path. Right, but here clearly also, in terms of this ummah, the ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu is also should not have any ghulu in our deen. Right, we should not go to excesses in our deen, such that and so some. One way one of our teachers used to explain this very simply in Urdu is Allah Allah, Nabi Nabi and Banda Banda. Na Nabi Allah, Na Nabi Mahaz Banda. Right? Allah Allah, Nabi Nabi and Banda Banda. This is the tripartite division. 
There's one Allah, there are prophets and there are humans. Right? The prophet is a human. But he's not an ordinary human, he's a special type of human. It's not like an ordinary human. But he's not so special that he gets some type of divinity or godship attached to him. Divinity and being a god that is exclusively for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Alright. Now we move to the Bani Israel. لَوَيْنَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَلَى لِسَانِ دَاوُودَ وَإِيسَ بْنَ مَرْيَمْ ذَلِكَ بِمَا أَصَوْ وَكَانُوا يَعْتَدُونَ So what is it saying? The cast outside of the mercy. But here it can also mean accursed because now we're talking about people. Right? When I told you when this verb latna is attributed as and Allah Ta'ala is the subject, it means cast outside of mercy. When a human being is the subject of this verb, subject means the file, the doer of that action, then it actually means verbal chastisement, which you would in English call cursing, but sort of verbally, mm, you know, verbal mention uh, that somebody is downtrodden and astray. So what Allah SWT is saying is that those who disbelieve from the Bani Israel, even the tongues of Dawud salam and the tongues of Sayyidina Isa salam, even there by their own tongues, they were reprimanded and cursed and mentioned to be people who were astray and people who were disbelievers. Why? This was due to their disobedience and their sins against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their transgressions and exceeding the limits that Allah ta'ala had delineated for them. Here the Spantel saying is that what they, what they used to do, Kanu la yatana hona, that they used to uh, not, they, they used to not prevent one another, an munkarin from those things that were prohibited to them and those things that were evil. In fact, fa'aluhu, uh, quite the opposite, they used to do each and every one of those things. So it means as well that they did not prevent one another from doing the evil and prohibited things that they used to do. Right, the bitsa makanu yafalun, and it is evil and terrible indeed. All of the things that they used to do and commit. Tara kathiram minhum yatawallon aladina kafaru la bitsa makandamat lahum anfusuhum an sakhit Allahu alehim wa fil adabihum khalidun. Here, the Sponsor saying, you will see that many of them befriend. I told you this before. Yatawalla means to make your wali in that sense. So you will see that many, many of them make as their benefactor, patron, intimately friend, intimate friend, Allah Zina Kafru, those who disbelieve. It means originally that the Jews and Christians of that time were befriending the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makaramah. Pakistani commentators at this point would definitely tell you that the Christian countries are befriending Hindu India, whichever way it is, <laughs> Mushrikeen, those who disbelieve, right? But the notion here, Allah sponsor is trying to say that it would have behooved and befit the Ahli Kitab to be closer to this people of Scripture because they're people of another Scripture, the Qur'an. But instead, because they have so much enmity and hostility for the Qur'an that has been revealed and the Qur'an that tells them that Trinity is wrong, for the Qur'an that tells them that Sayyidina Islam is not the son of Allah, for the Qur'an that tells them that there is no divinity except for Allah, they have so much hostility for this Qur'an that they would rather befriend people who even according to their own religion are unbelievers. According to classical Christian theology, Hindus are going to be in hell eternally because they're polytheists and idol worshippers, right? But they have even more hostility for Qur'an because Qur'an exposes, right, their wrongdoings. All right. So then you will see, so, so what we will see, you will see many, many of them that they will make as a wali those who disbelieve. 
So it is indeed terrible what they have sent forward for themselves, right? What they have, it means that, you know, the actions that you, this is the phrase in Arabic, the actions that you do are going to be going and sent ahead of you into your book of deeds and they will be on the basis of what your akhirah will be determined. أَنْسَخِدَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ That Allah sponsors wrath has befallen them. وَفِلَ أَذَابِهُمْ خَالَدُونَ And inside a punishment, they will be entered and they will dwell therein forever. وَلَوْ كَانُوا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالنَّبِيِّ Now finally, now, right? This is a very important ayah for you to highlight. This is Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5, verse number 81. If you remember, once before I told you, I had raised this question, that when Allah Ta'ala talks about the Ahl Kitab, He keeps saying, مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Who believe in Allah on the last day, Allah on the last day, then sometimes add Amila Salihah. So where's the righteous deeds? So it seems that they don't have to believe in Risala. And I told you that I was coming. Or else I was going to tell them. Right? And remember, the Islamic ruling is based on the whole Qur'an. We never pull quote just one ayah. So what is Islam's understanding of Ahl Kitab? All ayat of Qur'an and hadith of sunnah combined are going to tell us what that understanding is. So even if there's something that's not mentioned in one ayah, if it's mentioned in a different ayah, then that additional information is going to be viewed as Islamic position. So what are they being told here? That if only they had, well, and this is the first time this is coming now, if only were they to have believed Billahi in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and say, and this is singular, this is singular, it's not plural, not one nabiyin, not what rusul, one nabiyyi. And alif lam is ahad, it means Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. ilayhi. And that which was revealed ilayhi singular to that one nabi, i.e. Quran. Right? This is what the type of iman that Allah Ta'ala is asking them to have. So that means that they have to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have to believe in Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, they have to believe in Quran. Some commentaries also mention here that three things are mentioned here. This is the trinity. If there are three things that you have to believe in, it's not right the divinity of God and the Holy Mother or uh, and uh, and Jesus, but rather it's Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, Sayyidina Rasulullah and Quran. Not divinity of these three, but these are the things that have to be the three main articles of your belief. So if they had done that, then then what would have happened? then they would have never have taken those kuffar, those mushrikeen as their awliya, as their benefactors and patrons and friends. However, وَلَكِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُ فَاسِكُونَ However, the vast majority from amongst those Ahl Kitab are fasikun, are sinners, are transgressors. لَتَجِدَنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ أَدَاوَةً لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الْيَهُودَ وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا وَلَتَجِدَنَّ أَقْرَبَهُمْ مَوَدَّةً لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّا نَصَارَى ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ مِنْهُمْ قِسِّيسِينَ وَرُحْبَانًا وَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ Alright. This is a fascinating ayah of Qur'an al-Karim. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, لَتَجِدَنَّ Lam taqeed, nuni taqeed, the sakila comes from double taqeed. This means triple emphasis, the Arabic grammar, grammatical form. Means surely, certainly, undoubtedly, you will find that the most, from all of humanity, the ones who were the most intense 
in their enmity towards the believers are going to be who? Number one, Al-Yahuda, the Jews. And number two, Al-Ladheena, Ashraku, and the idol worshippers. Definitely, the Pakistani commentator at this point would definitely go into whole Israel, India, spiel at this point. <laughs> Alright? Will be the Jews and the idol worshippers. Now, this is Quranic fact. This is eternal truth. This is Kalamullah. This is Kitabullah. There may always be individual exceptions. Don't get this wrong. There may always be. There may be an individual Jew who is wonderful. Our friend Farzad would tell you Noam Chomsky. Right? Huh? <laughs> right? Of the fact that Noam Chomsky is who he is, but I'm not even sure. He may be an atheist for all I know. I really don't know actually. I've never looked into that. He could even be an agnostic or an atheist. Allah alam if he's a believing Jew. But certainly there are individual Jews who aren't like this. And they may even be individual Hindus. Right? Uh, depending on your version of history, Gandhi, and depending on your how passionate you are about the last minute details of partition, right? But, uh, so there may be individual exceptions, but overall as a community, right? as a community, as a collective, they're out of all of humanity, which are going to be those groups of humanity that have the most intense enmity towards the believers, it's going to be the Jews and going to be the idol worshippers. And really, you know, uh, some people have been raised in such a secular progressive environment that they think that this is incorrect and this is anti-Semitic. I'll give you my own example. When I was in high school, I didn't know any of these things. And my own mother, who is extremely, you know, let's say open-minded and tolerant of loving of all people, right? And she went to, in 1960, she went to London School of Economics to study. Now, for a Pakistani girl to go to England for college in 1960, that's a very forward-looking type of thing. And let's just not comment on <laughs> Islamic Hasidic than that. I'm just thinking of her personality. Every now, very rarely, every now and then she would say something about Israel. And I used to think, because my mother's not the type of person to say anything, and I used to think that, you know, I don't know what my mother had, because I was raised in a very, very, again, super, you know, quote-unquote tolerant and open-minded, so I thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with Israel. I mean, and I didn't realize there was anything wrong with Israel until I was like 20, and I attended a class at University of Chicago that taught me that there were certain things wrong with Israel, right? But then, you know, as I grew older, obviously from 20 to now, I realized that, you know, that it's a, my point was to show you that even people, it's not something, it's not some hardcore fanatical Islamic idea. The Quran is mentioning a universal truth. So even people who may not be that close on certain aspects of Islam, even they feel this. Even they feel that intense enmity and hostility that Jews have for the community of believers. And the same thing for people who are active idol worshippers. And really, you know, uh, other than, you know, this handful of Buddhist countries like Cambodia, Thailand, uh, and those places, uh, they're, they're very small countries, right? The only real major country in the world that is idol worshippers is India, right? I mean, that's really the only major large population mass nation state country in the world right now that actually has this as a, you know, national religion or as a national practice. Now, fascinating is, and equally fascinating to this, is the next, and let's see, how, what's the most precise way I can do this for you, is the next uh, next part of the ayah, and surely and certainly and undoubtedly, أَقْرَبُهُمْ مُوَدَّةً 
and those of humanity who are the closest, not kareeb, but akrab. Muwaddatan literally means love. Although they may not have translated that if you like that, but you can maybe translate as affection. But the most close in love and affection for the believers are those who call themselves Christians. Now obviously again, so there's this, there are going to be exceptions. You may find Christians who are extremely, extremely militant against Islam, right? Certainly, uh, continental Europe has certain right-wing Christian groups now, which are extremely militant. They don't know where they fall under this, right? So by universal rule, I meant it's true for all times and places. As an overall theme, there will be individuals and individual groups who are exceptions to this, right? Certainly the right-wing Christian groups in Europe today don't fall into this category. But it's a fascinating thing that Allah Ta'ala is telling in the Quran that Christians are going to be the most close to having affection for the believers. And Jews and idol worshippers are going to be the most intense in their enmity and hostility. Okay, why are, they, why are the Christians the most close? And this is because that from amongst them you will find Kisisina. Of Kisisina you can translate as priests, as clergy, as men of God. I don't know what your translation, what is your translation put? Priests, okay? So priests, clergy, men of God. Well, Ruhbana, Ruhbana means monks, that is clear. وَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ And these two types of people are not haughty, are not arrogant. Are not haughty, are not prideful, are not arrogant. Again, there may be an individual exception. Certainly that priest in Florida who wanted to burn Qur'an al-Kareem, <laughs> he's extremely haughty and arrogant. So they will be exceptions, right? But by and large, so that's a fascinating thing. That's what Qur'an is telling us, right? Fascinating. What is it that makes them softer? Now, the Jews have their rabbis, right? But them having rabbis was not mentioned here. What's mentioning is these people having priests, right? And this is why many, many, in almost every tafsir of Quran, in fact, that you read, and that I'm almost every, I want to say everyone, but just to be safe, I'll say almost everything that I've ever read is also suggested, that Jews have this more stern temperament towards Islam and Muslims. And Christians have a more soft and gentle temperament towards Islam and Muslims. Now, I cannot say I've personally experienced this universally, but certainly I have experienced this to some, ex- to some extent in my time and travels in these Western countries. I've certainly experienced this to a large extent, and like I told you, there are always exceptions. And another reason why this may not be experienced so much is that because a lot of the Jews and Christians and mostly that Muslims meet are the more secularized, agnostic-leaning, sometimes even outright atheist Jews and Christians, right? So obviously then that effect isn't going to be on them, right? The effect that the Quran is describing or the features or characters the Quran is describing are going to be found in those Jews and Christians who are more aligned with Judaism and more aligned with Christianity, right? But either way, it's always, and I remember the very first time I learned this, I found it to be a very fascinating eye. Maybe not so fascinating for you all because you live in a country where there are hardly any, I've never met a Jew in this country actually, and they're from, and you know, very, and the Christians who are here are Pakistani Christians, and that's a different type of uh, feature altogether. All right. Inshallah, now we begin the seventh juz of Qur'an al-Kareem. Okay. Okay, some of the people in Tafsir have also mentioned this issue in terms of their justice. The Jews said for an eye for an eye, and Sayyidina Isa Islam said, turn the other cheek, right? So this is also a notion of 
one group being hard, one group being not. You know, in Oxford, I can mention to you, there is, there's this, uh, sorry, I don't know how much to say, but let's say there's this, there's this seminar uh, called on, on the Abrahamic religions, where they have this comparison between Judaism, Christianity, and uh, Islam. So one day, I, I can't remember, it was either Jewish or Christian, it was definitely not a Muslim speaker, but either a Jewish or a Christian speaker made this comment, right, uh, that the Christians are viewed as people who are more based on love, and the Jews are, who have a love or love relationship with God, and the Jews are ones who have a more legal relationship with God, and Muslims are the ones who have combined both, and they have both a legal and a love relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Ajib, right? Okay. Now, وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَّا الرَّسُولِ So when they hear what has been revealed to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, تَرَاءَ أَعْيُنَهُمْ تَفِيذُ مِنَ الدَّمْئِ مِمَّا أَرَفُوا مِنَ الْحَقِّ Literally that you will see their eyes flow with tears. This is those Christians. Those Christians who are the closest in love and affection, but you will see their eyes flow with tears because they recognize the truth. Ajib. يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاكْتُبْنَا مَا شَاهِدِينَ And then they will say, O oh, our Rabb, we believe, we have iman, and so فَاكْتُبْنَا uh, uh, literally write us amongst those people who are the people of Shahada. وَمَا لَنَا لَا نُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَمَا جَاءَنَا مِنَ الْحَقِّ And it does not befit us, and it is not even possible for us that we don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that which has been, uh, that which has been brought to us, has came, that which has come to us, مِنَ الْحَقِّ from truth, ayy Qur'an. وَنَطْمَعُوا أَنْ يُدْخِلَنَا رَبُّنَا مَعَ الْقَوْمِ الصَّالِحِينَ And what we want is that our Rabb should include us in the ranks of the people of Salihin, amongst the community of the Salihin, of the community of the righteous. فَأَثَابَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِمَا قَالُوا جَنَّاتٍ تَجِيمٍ مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا And Allah SWT will give them a reward, a thawab, based on that, because of what they said, what reward? Gardens underneath which rivers flow, in which they will dwell therein forever. And indeed, this is the reward and the, con- the reward that is doled out and given to the people of Asan, the people of virtue and excellence. However, those who disbelieve and who falsify and repudiate the verses of our revelation or our commandments or our signs, they are the companions of the blaze. Jahim, the way you would translate in English, is of the blaze, the blazing fire. Ya amanu. لَا تُحَرِّمُوا تَيِّبَاتِ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ So another لَا يُحِبُّ That all you believe, do not make prohibited those pure things that Allah SWT has made permissible for you. And do not be people who transgress or exceed the boundaries. Indeed, Allah SWT does not love those who transgress or exceed the boundaries He has set. وَكُلُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ And eat of each and every one of those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down as provision and sustenance. That is what? Halal and tayyibah. That is both lawful and permissible for you. And that is also tayyib that is pure and wholesome. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهُ الَّذِي أَنْتُمْ بِهِ مُؤْمِنُونَ And fear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that very same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that being regarding whom you have taken iman. Fear that Allah that you believe in, in simple and idiomatic language. Fear that Allah, that very same Allah, that you are believers in that Allah. لا يواخذكم الله باللغوي 
fi aimanikum. Okay, here another thing is coming that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to call you to task with those oaths of yours that have no legal consequence. This I did for you before when the same ayah had come. Alright. Here, uh, the Mufassirin mentioned that one of the occasions of this revelation about this issue of the Christians uh, shedding tears is that when the Sahaba Ikram migrated to Abyssinia, this first delegation, right? <coughs> so the Mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarramah sent a follow-up delegation to follow them and they tried to convince the Nejis or the ruler of Abyssinia, which is Malnur Yusufa, that send these people back to us, return them to us. What is that word they use for that today? Extradite. They came to seek extradition of Sahaba Ikram, who had migrated to Abyssinia to Medina Manawra. So then what happened? Uh, that he refused, right? The Najis refused. And then what he did instead is he sent a delegation of 60 people to Sayyidina Rasulullah, including his own son. And in that he sent a letter to the Prophet and he said, that, O Rasulullah, I bear witness that you are the true messenger of Allah. I have pledged allegiance to you. Right? I have pledged allegiance to you at the hand of your cousin. The hand of cousin was Sayyidina Jafar ibn Abi Talib. He was the cousin of Allah who had led the Muhajireen who, the Muhajireen who went to Ethiopia. So I have uh, pledged allegiance to the hand of your cousin. I accept the obedience of Allah. I have sent my son to you. And if he is obedient to you, I will come to you personally. And then he said, Wassalamu alaykum, Ya Rasulullah. He sent salam to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alright. Now, There's some additional details, but when when that delegation reached Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, he recited to them Surah Yasin in entirety. And when the Prophet recited Surah Yasin in entirety, their eyes began to flow with tears, and they accepted Iman, all of the delegates. This was the letter the son was carrying, but the other delegates had not yet accepted Iman yet, right? So all of the other delegates who had come also accepted Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed these verses to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Second view, the Mufassirin said that no, this is actually when Sayyidina Jafar al-Tana himself at, in, at the court of the Najis in Ethiopia recited Surah Maryam to them. And when he recited Surah Maryam to them, then the people at the court of the king of Ethiopia, and they fell into tears. So here shows, if anything... Right, that if anybody wants to engage in interfaith dialogue with Christians, that perhaps they should use Surah Maryam and Surah Yasin. Right? In terms of the beginning of the point of interfaith dialogue. And elsewhere, we're going to come to this later, another surah that we would suggest would be Surah Yusuf. Alright. Here, this, okay, the next thing that Banal Spons addressed to believers is that eat, eat of what is pure and don't forbid what is lawful and don't transgress the limits. Alright. Number one is, uh, what does this mean? What does this mean? Number one, that somebody believes that something that is halal, somebody actually believes that it's haram, it's actually their iman, that this thing is haram, then they would fall under this verse. Number two, is there something that they don't believe it to be haram? They think it's halal. 
but they stay away from it as if it were haram. So they think it's halal, but they stay away from it as if it were haram. And number three would mean that if somebody takes a qasam, takes an oath that I will never ever eat X, Y, Z again, what they're doing is by means of that oath, they're trying to make haram what Allah Ta'ala has made halal for them. Now what does this mean? Why did I say the word belief, right? One thing is in terms of practice. That is allowed in deen of Islam. So let's say somebody doesn't like something, right? So children in America didn't like broccoli. We love broccoli personally. Well, let's say somebody doesn't like broccoli, so they don't ever eat it. That's okay because it's not their iman that it's haram, right? But if they view something to be haram, now sometimes this can also be, sometimes, for some people this can also be some type of ghulu, right? Ghulu in what sense that, you know, that they're trying to be more Sufi than they should be, and they think that their Sufiness means that things that Allah Ta'ala has made halal, they should view it to be haram. They shouldn't view it to be haram, right? Okay. So one example of this would be Pepsi, right? Or let's say, why should we take their name? Carbonated soft drinks, right? Now if you don't want to drink them because you think they're unhealthy, that is fine, right? But if you want to declare them to be haram or view them as it is haram for somebody's iman to drink them, that's not okay. If you don't want to drink them because you want to engage in a boycott of the West, that's also fine. If that, that's your, but that's not part of iman. It's actually still permissible to drink those beverages. Alright? Okay. Preferable, not preferable is a separate issue. Here, when we're talking about halal, we're just talking about what is actually, uh, what is simply lawful. Okay. Later, you're also going to see, this is going to come a very uh, well-known ayah in Surah number 66, verse number 1. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam at one point, when some of his Ummahat al-Mu'mineen had requested him not to eat a particular type of honey, and I'll do that story there, but then the Prophet stopped eating that honey. Allah Ta'ala addressed the Prophet directly with similar words like this, that why are you making haram for yourself, that which Allah Ta'ala has made halal for you. Okay. Here then when Allah SWT says that to eat that which is halal and tayyib, to eat that which is halal and tayyib, okay, that is very important. That means to eat both in terms of food, which is halal and tayyib. So that is halal, I already explained to you yesterday what halal is. So, for example, I said Orthodox Jewish kosher is halal, but that's not tayyib. Tayyib is the zabiha of a practicing Muslim. And many of the awliyaullah, and this is something that some people don't understand, many of the awliyaullah have said that what is tayyib, what is tayyib is also going to be that which is cooked by a believing, practicing, namazi Muslim. And even they've gone so far to say that the believing, practicing, namazi Muslim who does wudu. And I mention this because I've noticed that unfortunately in this class of society when Allah Ta'ala has given you, mashallah, so much fuzzle that you actually are able to hire a cook. When you hire a cook, many of you hire Christian cooks. Some of you hire cooks from radically deviant Islamic theologies. And some of you then hire cooks who don't practice and don't pray and don't have wudu. So fine, it's, it's halal to eat from the Christian cook's food, right? But it's not tayyib. It's not tayyib. The purity of the person affects the purity of the act. The purity of the person affects the purity of the act. Cooking is a human action, is a human act. The purity of the person cooking it will affect that act. I'll give you a story. There was a woman in America, real story. This is my wife's personal friend, right? Maybe one day she may actually, actually may be listening online, right? So 
she is a, she accepted the Deen of Islam. She's a white American. She accepted the Deen of Islam. And she was really worried she wanted her sister also to accept Islam. And she didn't know how to do that because there was no out. Apparently there was didn't seem to be any way that her sister was going to do that. Then she was worried that another thing is that they're not eating obviously halal food because obviously they're not Muslims, they're eating anything, right? So she said that, okay, what I'll do is I'll go and spend some time with them. She went down to Florida and she said, I'll be simply cook the food myself. And alhamdulillah, she is a person who prays salah, a person who stays in wudu. She purchased halal meat for them. She cooked that food. And just the act of cooking that food and being with them, this is her own analysis, softened her sister's heart for Islam. And then when she spoke to her sister and invited her to the deen of Islam, the sister accepted the deen of Islam. So there is an effect, effect in the person who cooks your food. And I don't think there are any shortage of Muslims in this country, right, that you have to hire a non-Muslim as a cook. Literally, I'm saying it to that, it's my own recommendation, it's my recommendation to you, that try to find, if you have a Christian cook, some alternative employment, maybe some other household work in your house, or if not, try to find them some alternative employment elsewhere. You are unnecessarily... There's no reason why you should go without tayyib, right? One can never go without halal, right? That's a sharia issue. You don't even have the choice to go outside the halal. But if you're in a situation, mashallah, where you have so much money, you're hiring cooks. You know, in America, what type of person has a cook? Really, it's an ultra-rich person has a cook. <laughs> even the millionaires in America don't have cooks. They don't have drivers. I mean, the same thing, right? It's super, it's like a billionaire in America has a chauffeur and maybe a billionaire in America has a cook. Alright? So, mashallah, even with your electricity outages, but otherwise you're living the life of multi-millionaires, you should hire a cook who is on deen. And you should try to invite your cook. And I also tell my own wife as well that I only prefer to eat food from that woman who works in our home, who cooks the food, who she herself prays salah, she reads Quran, she's in a state of wudu, she's a woman of taqwa and of piety. Right? And everybody should have that feeling. Whether man or woman, oh khan sama in namaziyo. Right? Ah, that's much, much better. Much, much better. And if you can't, if you can't, then at the very least, then the believing, praying women of the household should cook the food. They can use the staff to assist them in terms of chopping vegetables. They can use the staff for all the cleanup afterwards. But the actual act of cooking itself should be done. If you don't have praying, pious household staff, then it should that, that task should be reserved for the praying, pious household family member. That should not be a task that you delegate out. And really, you know, uh, we should not never become such people who feel that we need to do zero household work and everything should be done by the staff. There should be some things that we do and one of the highest priority in that should be the cooking of the food. The cooking of the food. Alright? So this was a very important comment I wanted to make on this issue of tayyib. Alright. Okay, here Allah SWT is saying, is this, so this is verses 89. Now, I've done this for you earlier. So Allah SWT will not take you to task for oaths that are low, that are futile, that are invalid. But Allah Ta'ala will take you to task for those oaths that you make intentionally. Allah Ta'ala will take you to task for those oaths that you make intentionally. Uh, right. فَكَفَارَ تُهُ إِتْعَامُ عَشَرَةِ masakin And the kafara, the expiation for such an oath, if you break it, will be to feed ten masakin مِنْ أَوْسَةِ مَا تُطْئِمُونَ أَهْلِيكُمْ From the, أَوْسَةِ means from the 
moderate type of food that you would feed your own family, right? So you may not feed your family, you know, uh, fancy meat every day. But what is the moderate thing that you feed your family? So you have to feed 10 masakin of the same amount, same quality of food. O kiswatuhum, or you may clothe them. O tahriru rakaba, or otherwise then you may free a slave. Faman lam yajid. And that person who is not able to find a slave and also doesn't have the financial ability to perhaps feed and clothe the ten masakin, then what can they do? Another option, but this is supposed to be a backup option, right? فَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ فَسِيَامُ ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَامٍ Then they should fast three days. ذَلَكَ كَفَارَةُ أَيْمَانِكُمْ Such is the expiation for the oaths that you take and that were valid and that you broke that pledge. إِذَا حَلَفْتُمْ When you swear them. وَحْفَذُوا أَيْمَانَكُمْ And you should safeguard and protect those oaths that you take. كَذَلَكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ آيَاتِهِ لَأَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Thus does Allah SWT make clear to you the verses of His revelation and the commandments and laws that lie therein so that you may become people who are grateful, thankful and appreciative of Him. يَا يُطَدِينَ آمَنُوا إِنَّمَا الْخَمَرُ وَالْمَيْسِرُ Okay. O you who believe, indeed, إِنَّمَا الْخَمَرُ وَالْمَيْسِرُ وَالْأَنْسَابُ وَالْأَزْلَامُ رِجْسٌ مِّنْ عَمَلَ so I mentioned to you earlier that there is going to be this ayah that's going to talk about liquor. And there are other things here. But the earlier ayat that we did weren't clear prohibition, right? It was that the harm in them is greater than the benefit. Then we did the second ayah that don't approach the prayer when you're in a state of intoxication. And I told you the third ayah will come. So this is the third ayah. Once I remember somebody asked me a question about this ayah, that the word haram is not in this ayah. So there's no, and this was a Lum student. And he wanted to convince me that drinking alcohol was not haram because Allah has not used the word haram. So I want to make it clear for you that there are legal categories called fard and haram. Fard means obligatory and mandatory. Haram means prohibited. However, in the Arabic language, there are many, many words that create an obligation and there are many words that create a prohibition. For example... Let's take what right now in Ramadan, all of you know that fasting is fard. But what is Allah Ta'ala doesn't use the word? The word fard in Quran. Kutiba alaykum asiyam. Right? To kutiba, the same reasoning the person said that Rosa fard And I'll say why? Because fard could love the Quran. Now, this mentality that people have, and this is going to come, and I'm going to be calling your attention to this, that people have this mentality that show it to me written in Quran. I have to show you the meaning of prohibition in Quran. I have to show you the meaning of obligation in Quran. Just like in English, if I tell you obligatory, mandatory, compulsory, required, even English language has multiple words that create a must, right? Okay? Just like that in Arabic, there are multiple words that create an obligation, there are multiple words that create a prohibition. One word that creates a prohibition in one grammatical form is what we call nahi, which is the prohibitive command. And on top of it, the word Allah Ta'ala is using is ijtinab. So, fajtanibuhu. Fajtanibuhu, that is the word in Quran that is making liquor absolutely prohibited. It means in English, you must refrain, you must absolutely refrain from it altogether. Now, even in English, I didn't say the word prohibited, right? You must refrain from it absolutely altogether. The word prohibited wasn't said in English. It means it's a prohibition, Right? If you are driving on a highway and the cop pulls you over and you said, it said you have 55 speed limit. It didn't say unlawful. <laughs> so why are you saying I broke the law? It didn't, the word unlawful is not on the sign. Would that work? It's not going to work. 
right? Anyway, you know, apparently the kid was not convinced, you know. But apparently the kid didn't come actually to learn, right? He came to do beth, right? Which the people do. And to do beth over Quran is something that you should be careful about, right? If you want to do best, just say, see this about kedo. That's fine. I mean, I can deal with that, right? But to try to use Quran for your purposes, that's a very dangerous thing to do. That's a very dangerous thing to do, right? And obviously you know how many kids have even read the whole Quran, right? So for a kid to come and tell me, nowhere in the Quran has Allah said the word haram, even though I'm saying, yes, the word is enough, but he wouldn't even know that. How could he know that? He'd never even read the whole Quran, right? So people really have to be careful. And when you're working with somebody like this, when you're, when you're confronted with somebody like this, you shouldn't talk to them about the specific ruling. The specific ruling, just get that overdone in 30 seconds. So I told him very quickly that this is there. But now you need to work on that person because that person has skewed emotions and concepts about Allah Ta'ala and Quran. So you need to talk to that person about Allah. Right? So, Allah Alam, where that kid is now today, you know, maybe something I said or somebody else, somebody will say to him in his life may bring him back to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Right? So the issue wasn't liquor. The issue was his understanding of Allah. Right? And his understanding of his own role in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? So never get drawn into the bahas. That's what shaitan wants. Shaitan wants habas kudato. Hey, kamine, ye loves me, and this and that, right? And sometimes I accept. Some ulama will daunt you when you go to them. Right? But just like the traffic cop would also daunt you, very few traffic cops would sit you down and explain to you good citizenship and, right, good driving if you said to them the word unlawful is there. So it happens, right? But we should try try not to engage in some types of bath. Khair, so Allah subhanahu here is saying, okay, so what all is mentioned over here? What is mentioned here is Allah subhanahu linked several things. About each and every one of them is this command, Fajtanibuhu. And about each and every one of them, Allah subhanahu is saying, it's a ridsum min amal shaitan. That is an ab- abomination and deviation from the acts of shaitan. Alright. So what are those things? Number one, khamar, which means all types of alcohol. I'll explain them more. Mesr, which means gambling. Ansab, Ansab is idol worship. So I did this for you literally. Nusub is the sacrificial altar, right? But it's referring to idols. Well, Alzam, we did this as well before drawing lots by means of arrows or assigning shares by means of arrows. All of this has to be prohibited. Let me make some comments about the prohibition of alcohol so it is clear. Number one. Now, some people try to take this route. They say Hummer in Arabic means wine. That's, I'm going to show you their step-by-step process. Step-by-step process by which they think, for example, it's permissible to drink beer. Watch this. Step one, khamr means wine. Step two, at the time of the Prophet wine was made for dates and grapes. Step three, beer is made from oh, barley and malt. Step four, I can drink beer. Yes, this is a four-step process in their mind. Right? And unfortunately, there are certain people who have, through their TV programs, encouraged people to take such an approach to Qur'an. That look at the word in the Qur'an, look it up in the dictionary, understand that word in history, and that's it, that's all you have to worry about. As if the Qur'an was some Arabic dictionary-based book revealed to only the people of Makkah Mukarramah. It's a universal book. And the power of the Arabic language is much wider than any Arabic dictionary can ever encompass. Second thing you have to understand is that Qur'an al-Kareem must be understood in light of sahib al-Qur'an that is Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
what was the practice of Sahaba after receiving this verse? What has been the practice of the entire Ummah after receiving this verse? So Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a clear, explicit, accurate, authentic hadith, Kullu muskirin haramun That every single intoxicant is haram. So be that wine, be that scotch, be that beer, be that champagne, be that vodka, whiskey, tequila, port, rum, brandy. There's a whole world they have. There's a whole world they have. It's not just red grape, vine, and date, mm, liquor that is haram. All of it is haram. Because all of it is intoxicant. Okay. And another day, Sayyidina Rasulullah that every intoxicant is haram, even a drop of it. Even a drop of it. Right? For example, imagine somebody was to say that, okay, look, I'm a very rational person, and I have read in science that urine has such and such harmful effects. So I agree. I understand completely why Islam is prohibited from drinking urine. But I just mix two, three drops every now and then in my water because I know from science that those two, three drops of urine aren't enough to have that harmful effect. Could somebody, if somebody said this to you, would you accept such a rational process and thereby change the Islamic ruling that drinking urine is not altogether prohibited, but that's the actual Islamic ruling, right? The drinking urine, you understand urine, right? Drinking urine is altogether prohibited. Let's say somebody tried to change that ruling and say, no, drinking urine is only prohibited to the extent that you drink so much urine that it harms you. And I just take a small little cup a day. Would you accept that argument? Right? No. Right? Now let me explain to you another thing. That what is going on here is that this person is thinking that the hukum of Quran is dependent on some cause that can be identified by man's rationality. They think that there's an illat or a suburb or a delil for that hukam. And so they're thinking that the reason alcohol is prohibited is because it makes you drunk. Second step they're thinking is that if the reason behind the ruling is not there, then the ruling can be dispensed with. So because in their mind the reason drinking is prohibited is because you get drunk, so if they can find a way to drink without getting drunk, then they feel that the ruling can be lifted. So they can socially drink, they can casually drink, they can lightly drink, right? No. The Quran al Kareem, right? They're all, this, the rules that are in Quran are not dependent on any cause, any sabab, any illat, any reason, any dalil. They are rules derived through an ijtihad process called qiyas. Those rules, and even there are two types of those, one type of those are dependent on some cause. And if the cause is there, the ruling is there. And yes, in that case, on that Islamic law that is derived from a particular type of chaos, if the cause is not there, then the ruling is not there. Alright. Alcohol, another thing about alcohol is that what about alcohol-based uh, cosmetics and perfumes and deodorants and soaps and sprays and colognes? Alright, for that the ulama are of two positions concerning alcohol. There are two things about alcohol. One is consumption of alcohol and one is surface application. Be that cream or spray or cologne or whatever, right? One is imbibing alcohol. That's prohibited. One is the application of alcohol. Some ulama are of the view that alcohol is najisul ayn. It is irretrievably, irreversibly an impure substance. 
and therefore you cannot use alcohol-based perfume or colognes. Other ulama are of the view that no, synthetic alcohol, synthetic alcohol, synthetic alcohol is not najisulain because it is a molecular formula that is mm, fabricated or designed in the lab. It's drinking alcohol that is najisulain. What does it mean? That if somebody spills champagne on you, you can't pray in that shirt anymore. You have to wash it because it's najis now. It's impure. So that's there for natural alcohol. But synthetic alcohol isn't najisulain. And the fatwa is given on the second ruling, which means that the fatwa is that it is permissible for you to use these, al- these you know, different soaps and creams and perfumes and colognes and deodorants that have alcohol in them. This is a good example to show you that so a person may want to, there may be some people who abstain from using alcohol-based perfumes and colognes because they feel it may be more precautionary. It is more ihtiyat in it, Right? But they cannot view it as haram. They have to still give the fatwa that's halal. But as a personal amal, if they don't use it, that is fine. As long as they still view it to be halal, and they always give the ruling that it's halal. Alright? Okay. Alright, so that... Okay, Maser is gambling. What is gambling? Alright, gambling is... Um, I want to define gambling for you in a very uh, specific way for you. Um... One more thing to say about alcohol, but I mentioned this to you earlier, that we should not really try to be at the places where alcohol is being consumed, especially the places where alcohol is being consumed by Muslims, because that means that they're engaged in an open and clear sin. Gambling means that you are doing in, entering into some type of contest or arrangement in which you're entering some money into that arrangement, and you are taking a chance that either you will lose that money, but not due to some loss incurred in a business, not due to any reason. There's no reason why you should lose that money. It's not a bad business strategy. It's not a bad investment, nothing like that. You'll simply lose the money outright, or for no reason whatsoever, right? For no flaw or defect or failure or bad planning, not anything like that. Or you have the chance to gain a larger sum of money, but again, not due to any good business strategy or any mm, hard work or any effort. Again, you gain that large amount of money also due to no reason whatsoever. And third, that large amount of money is actually money that belongs to other people. It's actually people's money who was also, which was also deposited into such a scheme. That is kind of the more technical way the jurors define gambling. So this is not allowed, right? Ways that this takes place, so casinos, right? Poker night, uh, other such things that people do. Horse betting, these are ways that people on earth have sort of mostly engaged in gambling, okay? If you want to gamble with fake money, that is fine. So you want to go by, I mean, fine in the sense that it's, it's, it's strictly speaking lawful. Let's put it that way. Whether this is the best use of your time, that's something else, right? But strictly speaking, it would be lawful that if you were to buy a hundred red little plastic chips and give them to people and, you know, you play mock poker, right? Um, but actually in the deen of Islam, it is viewed that this is also not viewed as a good thing. Because Nabiya Karim says, Man tashabbaha qawmin 
من تشبه بقومن فهو منهم that that person who adopts the likeness of a community they either become like them or they're in danger of becoming like them what does that mean? it means the activity of playing poker creates a mizaj creates a mentality creates a, a temperament which isn't just exclusive to the gambling so if you do it with even the fake chips or the monopoly money right uh, that still it could still create that same temperament inside of us alright one way bets however are allowed what is a one way bet one way bet means that okay <coughs> two people play tennis and one of them says to the other okay uh, if I uh, like a third person says, if a third person is watching them two playing tennis and says that if person A wins, I'll buy you dinner. But if person B wins, I don't have to do anything. Right? That's a one-way bet. That's okay. That's okay. Right? Or if even uh, the two people make an agreement with one another, but it's slightly, both parties say, the two people say, okay, whoever wins can buy the other one dinner. This was viewed more as a gift. Right? Uh, and sometimes in Pakistan, you have this uh, a lot. Treat Lena. Now I remember, right? Treat Lena. Khair, it's mostly the way you do it is jais, right? But if it involves any type of social pressure, undue pressure to extract money from a person, then that would not be jais. Drawing lots and arrows I've already done. Obviously, worshipping idols is prohibited. And the key thing is that all of these, the thing to highlight in this verse is ridsum in amala shaitan. All of these things, things are abomination from the acts of shaitan. So in English, right, to give you the impact, this is satanic activity. Um, nobody wants to do something satanic, right? So drinking, gambling, and idol worshipping, and drawing lots. But it can also be, maybe add another thing, you're divining fortunes. So all types of fortune telling, tarot card, astrology. If you are Sagittarius and you read that paragraph thinking it has any, even a drop of meaning whatsoever, it's absolutely haram. Looking, uh, palm reading, right? All of these things are absolutely forbidden in the deen of Islam. Alright? Okay. And they're all viewed as satanic acts. Satanic acts and a person who does them then is worthy of being called a satan worshipper, not an Allah worshipper. إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَنْ يُوْكِئَ بَيْنَكُمُ الْأَدَاوَةَ وَالْبَغْضَاءَ فِي الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسْرِ now, of those four, the idols and arrows are left out. And as far as alcohol and gambling, Allah Ta'ala is mentioning in Quran al-Kareem that indeed shaitan intends that he wants to place and put between, between you, between people, enmity and hostility by means of the alcohol they drink and by means of the gambling they do. So it means that why is Satan doing this? Because it's a means of creating discord and hostility and enmity between people. Second thing, what does shaitan want to do? وَيُسُدَّكُمْ أَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَأَنِ This ayah is very important because it mentions number one, it establishes clearly that zikrullah is something other than salah. There's some people who are against the practice of dhikr and they try to claim that everywhere Allah Ta'ala said dhikr in Qur'an, it either means Qur'an or it means salah. Here it's clear that zikrullah is something else and salah is something else. Second thing that this ayah is very important, it shows you the shaitan doesn't want you to do zikr. <laughs> In fact, the first thing that is mentioned, even before he tries to keep you from salah, what does he try to keep you from? Zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that means any force that is trying to keep people from the zikr of Allah, such a force can be called satanic. Any force that is trying to convince people that there's no need to do zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such a force can be called satanic.
Why does he want to keep it from the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because when you remember Allah, you are less likely to sin. Whenever a person sins, if you ask them later on that, okay, at that moment you sinned, were you thinking of Allah? He'll say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, I forgot about Allah, I forgot Kitabullah, I forgot Rasulullah, hence I forgot I was Abdullah, and hence I did that sin. If I was remembering Allah at that time, I wouldn't have done that sin. That's why shaitan wants to keep a person away from the zikr. And a person wants to keep a person, uh, shaitan wants to keep people away from salah, because that is the mandatory worship that Allah Ta'ala wishes them to engage in. He wants them to miss out the faraiz. Right? And especially, why? Because salah contains that sajda to Allah. And shaitan didn't do that a sajda. Even if it was to Adam alayhi salam, it was the hukum of Allah. Right? So shaitan, oh, salah contains a fulfillment of the command to do sajda. And shaitan is the being who didn't fulfill the command to do sajda. So one of the things that he hates it the most is when people fulfill the command to do sajda. Alright? So he tries to keep people away from salah. I also suggest that when you're busy in gambling, that sometimes people get so busy in that match they skip their salah. They're in the heat of the match, they're going to miss their maghrib. They're going to miss their asr. This is also something that some guys have a problem with in sports. Either playing sports or watching sports. Or they have learned to master the quick four rakats in the commercial break between cricket. Come on, they have timed it. Right? The second the commercial break starts, they can, the best of them, they can even go, make wudu, and pray for forth, and come back and not miss a single ball. Then the better ones will wait for the next break, then they'll go pray the sunnahs and come back again. Right? Now this is not a way to offer salah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And all the middle he's thinking, right? What is he thinking in the whole prayer? He's not doing zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's thinking, maybe I'll miss one ball. Right? One ball. <laughs> one. <laughs> one ball he's worried about missing. Allah Akbar. That's how weak our iman is. Hmm? We can hurry up our salah for the sake. We can leave out an adab of salah. An adab of staying in raku. An adab of enjoying sajda. We can give that up so that we don't miss one ball. Allah Akbar kameera. Right? So it's a problem. It's a deep problem. It's a deep problem. It may sound funny to you, but it's actually a very... It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Alright? Okay. فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُنْتَهُونَ So will you not then refrain? This is what it means. So will you not then refrain when you now have learned that this is a satanic thing? This is what Allah SWT is saying. Will you not then refrain now that you have heard that this is something from Satan? وَأَثِيُوا اللَّهُ وَأَثِيُوا رَسُولُ You should obey Allah SWT and obey the Messenger of Allah وَاهْذَرُوا And you should be wary of doing any type of disobedience. فَإِن تَوَلَّيْتُمْ But if you turn and spurn on your heels and you refuse to do that obedience, فَأَعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا عَلَى رَسُولِنَا الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ That know the only thing that is incumbent, and now Allah Ta'ala is using this term, رَسُولِنَا He's our مَيْرَ رَسُولِ آپ نہیں مانتے مَيْرَ That's the feeling here. عَلَى رَسُولِنَا that there is nothing that I have made mandatory on my Prophet ﷺ other than Al-Balagh Al-Mubin to clearly transmit the message and deliver it to you. That's it. He is not responsible for making you obey. 
So don't think by disobeying him, you have somehow undermined his prophethood. Don't think by disobeying him, you have somehow slandered his prophethood. Don't think by disobeying him, O Mushrikeen of Makkah, you can walk around and say that he was from us and among us and look at us. We don't even obey him. Right? That has nothing to do, whether you obey or disobey, has nothing to do with the veracity or might or power or veracity or sincerity or truth of his prophethood and his prophecy. Alright. لَيْسَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جُنَاهُمْ فِي مَا تَعِمُوا إِذَا مَتَّكَوْا وَآمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ ثُمَّ اتَّكَوْا وَآمَنُوا ثُمَّ اتَّكَوْا وَأَحْسَنُوا وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Okay. This is an interesting ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to repeat the word taqwa several times in this ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem. This is also an ayah. I think this is that ayah in which taqwa has come three times. This is the only ayah from my, from my remember, but we'll see inshallah. Surah number 6, Surah Maidah. Uh, surah number 5, Surah Maidah, verse number 93, where taqwa has come three times. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, on those who believe and do good works. So it is not incumbent on those who believe and do good works. Sorry, there is no janah, there is no... Haraj, there is no harm on those who believe in who, in who do good works, on what they fima ta'imu, on what they eat, on what they consume. Three cars. Okay, there are three cars that have been parked improperly. Parked improperly means the neighbor across and diagonal to the left of us uh, doesn't like us. <laughs> So it doesn't not not me personally has ever met me, but doesn't like the fact that people come here and park. So if anybody sometimes if you park on his lawn thinking that oh wow people left this spot it's so close it's a great catch for me people left the spot because you're not supposed to park there. So there are three such cars now. This is barely legible handwriting, but if you recognize this as your number, if you remember that you were parked there, if any women remembers that their driver was parked there, you actually get dropped off and you have no idea where your drivers park and many of the women actually don't even know what their license plates are. So I really don't think this is going to work. But one of you should go out and tell the drivers also. Right? So one of you will go out and tell the drivers. But as far as the men who are here, so this is... Did you write this? No. 5643FDA2007. There's no shame. It's a good deed if you move your car if it's improperly parked. So you should stand up proudly to go do the good deed of moving your shabash. Okay. 5643 FDA 2007. The next one is 3756 LZY. 3756 LZY. And the next one is 6623 LEF 2007. 6623 LEF 2007. Chal. We got three guys, no need to tell the drivers. <laughs> Alright? Okay. So, where were we? Al Dubilai Mina Shaitan and Jimmy Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Laysa Allah Ladina Amanu Amin Lasale Hati Janahun Fimata Amun. Then there's no harm on those who believe and those who do righteous actions concerning what they eat. Ida, when? When? Now watch this ayah on Kareem Takwa is going to come three times. Ida, when or as long as? Ida ma? Means idama as long as taqo as they have taqwa to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they keep believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they keep doing righteous actions. Alright? And then thumma and then after that taqwa and iman and amilus salihat thumma and then it taqo and then again they have taqwa. 
وَآمَنُوا And they again believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ثُمَّ And then after that taqwa and iman, again, taqaw. Again they have taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَآسَنُوا And they pursue the path of nobility, virtue, and excellence. So what is going on here? Well, literally, literally what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about is eating. <laughs> this simple mundane act of eating, there's no problem for us to eat as long as we are people of taqwa and iman and amal salihat and then after we keep eating from the provisions and bounty Allah Ta'ala has given us, it doesn't make us become disgrateful and ungrateful. So thumma, and again we are people of taqwa and iman, and then Allah Ta'ala may give us even more, and then we keep eating and keep enjoying, and even then what happens is thumma taqaw, and then again the person still has taqwa, wa asanu, and in fact becomes the most noble and virtuous and excellent believer that he can be. Wallahu yuhimmul muhsineen. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people of Esan. So this is an ayah for us to think about whether we really uh, are going to have this tri, uh, this triple intense level of taqwa. Alright? Okay. Ya yaladina amanu la yabluwannakum allahu bishayim min as-sayidi tanaluhu aidikum marimahukum لَيَعْنَمَ اللَّهُ مَنْ يَخَافُهُ بِالْغَيْبِ فَمَنِ اَتَدَى بَعْدَ ذَلَكَ فَلَهُ أَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Oh, you believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to test you with some matter of, with something from this matter of hunting, right? With regard to the game that you hunt. Literally, now it's going to say that تَنَالُهُ أَيْدِيكُمْ That your hands uh, procure, what your hands and your spears procure. So what it means is that basically that you hunt with your hands and you hunt with your spears. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may ascertain and manifest His knowledge, manifest knowingly, that who is it that fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when Allah ta'ala is the unseen. And that person who persists in transgression, after this, then what will happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that such a person فَلَهُ أَذَابٌ alim, Such a person will have a painful punishment. Alright. This is a perfect example to show you in Qur'an al-Kareem what I mentioned about the kabair. And I told you the ulama had mentioned that what are those sins that fall under the kabair, under the enormous sins, those are the ones that have some mention of punishment. So this is actually Allah ta'ala. Who is Allah ta'ala addressing here? يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Right? The believers. So this is not an issue. So azabun alim normally comes, has hence, I think actually up till now has always come, for kuffar and for nafikin. Here it's coming for the alladhina amunu when they do a particular, I'm going to explain to you what that is. When they do a particular thing in regards to hunting. Okay? So it's a test. So this ayah, this ayah is the ayah that the believer should always be scared about. You should always be terrified. When you read or hear ayat that begin, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, and end with something like adabun alim or adabun adim. Alright? And same Allah, same Quran, same words that He has used for kuffar mushrikeen, same Allah in same Quran is going to use it for Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, if they make one sin after knowing it's a sin. فَمَنِعْتَدَا بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ That that person who does it anyway, even after it has been revealed that it is a sin. Such a person follow who? Then such a person, it befits them, and what will happen to them, what will transpire upon them? Adabun alim. Okay, what is this issue that Allah Ta'ala is saying that is going to test us in regard to hunting? 
So you can think that just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested the Bani Israel in terms of the fish that they used to hunt and catch, right? That they can't do so on the Sabbath. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a particular command for the believers. And this has to do with your that the believers are not allowed to hunt when they're in the state of ihram. State of ihram is a particular state. I did this few before. It's normally symbolized by the libas of ihram. But it's the state that a person enters when they make intention to go for umrah or hajj. And when they're in that state, hunting is prohibited to them. Now, this seems like a very simple rule. I want you to learn the mizaj of al This seems like a very simple thing, right? Okay, when you're in ihram, don't hunt. You can still purchase meat from people who are not in ihram and are hunting it, right? You will see when you go, inshaAllah, Allah will take all of us there over and over again. There are plenty of restaurants there for plenty of people who are not in ihram and they're hunting and the modern equivalent of hunting and cooking food for you and you can buy it from them and eat it, right? And even in that time, there would have been people who were preparing in this, you know, preparing food. Seems like a very simple ruling, right? But, this is the shan of Allah SWT. That if you leave just this one simple ruling, just one thing that Allah Ta'ala is referring to. If you leave this one thing, O oh Allah Dina Amanu, Allah Ta'ala is saying, Falahu adabun alim. That such a person would have an extreme punishment. Now I want you to see why it's not the rational definition of sin. Or the liberal. Liberal definition of sin is that kisi ka nuksan karna. Right? If you, in the state of Ihram, you hunt an animal, kisi ka nuksan to nahi Right? You hunted an animal. You killed a goat. And even that with the name of Allah, according, you slaughtered according to the rules of Allah, and you ate it with the name of Allah. But you did it when you were in ihram. This is Allah Ta'ala showing the mind. That's why He's saying, that's why Allah Ta'ala is mentioning in Quran, it's an ibtila, it's a test. It's a test. It's a test to see who obeys and who doesn't obey. There's nothing rational about it. It's not subject to rationality. Right? Adabun alim. Allahu Akbar. Adabun alim. Yes. Because it's not for hunting the goat in ihram. That's not what adabun alim is for. Adabun alim is for disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the Rabb and Malik who created you. That's the lesson we should get. That's what the adabun alim is for. So that means that if we want to turn the knob, as I say, if we make umum in the ma'na over here, if we make it a more general meaning, Allah Ta'ala is saying, O oh, you who believe, in any single matter of deen, once deen has been revealed to you, if after that you still disobey and transgress, فَلَهُ azabun alim, That you should be wary and worried that to you may be an intensely painful punishment. Alright? Because it's the punishment for disobeying Allah SWT. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَقْتُلُوا السَّيْدَةِ وَأَنْتُمْ حُرُمْ So, O oh, you who believe, don't kill the hunt or don't kill the... Mm, don't hunt the game, right? Uh, you can call it game, the object of hunting. Don't hunt, don't kill the wild animals, the game. Such that you, and in end, such that while you were in a condition of ihram. And that person who kills some game, from that person from you who kills any game animal, deliberately and knowingly. فَجَزَاءٌ مِثْلُ مَا قَتَلَ مِنَ النَّعَمِ يَحْكُمُ بِهِ ذَوَا أَدْلٍ ذَوَا أَدْلٍ مِنْكُمْ هَدْيًا بَالِغَ الْقَعْبَةِ أَوْ كَفَارَةٌ أَوْ كَفَارَةٌ تَعَامَ مِسْكِ مَسَاكِينَ 
او عدل ذالک سیامن لیزوک وبال امرہی اف اللہ اما سلف ومن عاد فینتقم اللہ منہو اللہ اکمر واللہ عزیز ذو انتقام واللہ عزیز ذو انتقام alright this again now it's just a question of hunting right it's just a question of hunting but Allah is going to say some very intense very intense line over here very intense Number one, you believe, do not kill any game when you are in a state of ihram. All right. The penalty due on whoever deliberately kills any such prey is comparable to what he killed. What does it mean that he will have to offer an animal sacrifice? So if he killed, right, a goat in a state of ihram, later on he'll have to sacrifice a goat and give it to charity. Right? Okay. Or some have also said that mythal here means that mythal literally means mythal, but some says it can also be. Uh, the financial penalty that he can pay the monetary amount of the type of animal that he killed. All right, but what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala the original hukum is that you must bring the slaughter the like of the animal. What will you do? Mithu maqatulam in anami that mithu maqatulam in anami that the like of the animal from which he is killed yahkumu bihi zawa alim minkum hadyan balig al kaaba balig al kaaba. Now what does it mean that he is going to bring that animal? To the Kaaba. He must bring that animal to the Kaaba for the sake of sacrifice, sake of being, for being sacrificed. And who is going to judge this? Yahkumu bihi zawa adli minkum. That so, a person will judge this, that person who has justice from amongst you. The just person from amongst you will render and proclaim and issue this judgment. Alright. Zawa adlin actually is tasniya. So the two people who were Two just people from amongst you will render this decision that he has to bring, he has to sacrifice an animal like to the one that he killed in the state of Ihram. And how will he sacrifice that animal, Hadyan, as an offering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And he should bring that offering to the Kaaba. Second option, oh, second thing that he can do, kafaratun ta'ama masakin, or he may fulfill the expiation of feeding the poor, we did that before. Or he may also do the third expiation, which is what? Or he may do the like thereof in terms of fasting. Why? Literally it means so that he may taste the gravity of his act. It means so that he may experience and understand the gravity of what he did. Allah Ta'ala has pardoned and forgiven you for all that you did before. However, that person who returns to this, that person who returns to this after this commandment of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, and again, what was this act? Just killing in the state of Ihram. Killing an animal, hunting an animal in the state of Ihram. So what will the sponsor say? فَيَنْتَكِمُ اللَّهُ مِنْهُ That Allah Subhanahu literally means Allah Ta'ala will take vengeance from him. Allah Ta'ala will take vengeance from him. وَاللَّهُ أَزِيزٌ ذُنْتِكَامُ Allah Ta'ala is almighty and, all, and the master of extracting vengeance. Allahu Akbar. This is two of the most what we call Jalali Sifat and Asma of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Now I told you one issue was that the person was disobeying Allah. The second thing was that the person was in a state of ihram. State of ihram was supposed to be that state when they were the most God conscious, when they were the most God fearing. This person was going to Umrah and Hajj and is still disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This state was supposed to be when they were <coughs> should have been lost in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, should have been lost in their feelings for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if in a state of ihram a person does this sin of hunting, 
right, and goes back to it even after knowing about it, then Allah Ta'ala says He will extract vengeance from him himself. And Allah Ta'ala is almighty. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is all, uh, has mastery over extracting vengeance. The permissible to you is the hunting of the oceans. What the amahu and the edible items, edible items in it are eating from the sea. Mata'an lakum walisayyarati. Okay. Mata'an lakum, what does that mean? That this means that this is done as a convenience to you. Walisayyara, sayyara are those people who are travelers. Alright. Hunting of the sea, this has to, there's an issue that's going to come here about these different animals of the sea. That I will explain to you. Okay, we may have to do that elsewhere. Here, we're just talking about permission to hunt fish when you're in a state of ihram. But just so you know, different ulama have taken different views on this particular word, Sayyidul Bahri, Wata'amuhu. So some have said it's permissible to hunt anything in the sea. Others have said it's permissible to eat anything in the sea. Right? It's clearly ta'amuhu is eat, eat from that which you hunt. So the question is what of the animals of the ocean are permissible? So you know there's this issue pertaining to shrimps. Right? And other such uh, animals who live in the sea who, who scavenge and who eat filth basically like shrimps do. Now I don't even know this well enough to tell you I don't remember which one it is. There's all these things, right? Oysters and scallops and clams. And there's a whole range of different type of uh, mm, animals that live in the ocean, right? And here, uh, this is not the fiqh of eating. So you can look this up in the books of fiqh. There's a lot of detail about all of the different particular animals. And particularly, let's just do one, which is your favorite prawn. Jumbo, king-sized prawn, Sichuan style, Right? So what is the Islamic ruling of eating shrimp? Okay. First of all, it's not, it's not a question of haram. It's a question of strongly makru, lightly makru, or permissible. And there's a great, great debate amongst the ulama regarding shrimp. And there's a great debate within the Desi sort of Indo-Pak and especially Bangladeshi ulama regarding shrimp. You may be not be surprised to know that the majority of Bangladeshi ulama feel that shrimp is completely permissible to eat. And some of the Karachi ulama have followed him on that. And then the more inland ulama, yes, it's actually, let's just call it a coincidence, Allahu Alam, right? But and many of the inland, mainland, Punjab and Patan ulama feel that it's not permissible. Or it's, it's severely, prohibitively disliked, we call makru tahrimi to eat shrimp. Interesting, Mufti Taki Usmani himself took two positions on this, and I cannot even remember right now which one was this second one. But it had to do with whether he was looking at Orf, whether he viewed Lohat as Orf or science as Orf. Because basically what happens is, this is, let me put it to you this way. What is shrimp? Is shrimp going to be considered fish? Or shrimp going to be considered something else, if I remember their vertebrae, according to the whole phylum and typology and classification of zoologists, right? Now, Mufti Taki Usmani, if I remember correctly, but I could be wrong about this order, he first took the position that the orf will be based on science and therefore shrimp will be... Uh, actually, I don't want to put words without... Actually, I don't want to attribute something to him, but he first was of the position that they were okay, then he took... were not, that shrimp was makru, and then he took to the position that shrimp were, were 
completely permissible without any karahat. The reason for the second position that he took, now I do remember, the sequence was he first felt it was makru, and second he felt it was permissible. The reason he said they were permissible is because in orf they are known as fish, and fish are permissible. Now actually, I have not looked in this issue enough, so I cannot give you a fatwa on this ruling on my own authority. But uh, I found that argument a bit questionable, because I think the orf of the land is no longer logat, it's no longer language, the orf of our time is science. And if scientists have analyzed shrimp, and from what I remember of biology, it's quite definitive that they're not fish, and they're something else altogether, and they're vertebrae. And if science can also establish that indeed they do scavenge and eat the filth and the scum of the oceans, then I think it's just because some medieval and classical Arabs in their books used to call shrimp fish, I think that's a difficult argument. But at the same time, it is a valid argument, and so that may be an argument used for its permissibility. This much I would suggest that, you know, uh, if you want to be more precautionary, you shouldn't have shrimp. But if you are a guest and somebody makes shrimp, you should eat it. Because you have to balance different teachings of Sharia. Now, I don't have time to teach you all this stuff because we're supposed to be going much faster in Quran. But you have to learn how to balance different features of Sharia. So Deen of Islam also wants you to be a good guest to your host. So if the host has made shrimp and they would like you to eat it, even if you like to be Sufi Saab and you like to stay away from everything that is even slightly dip, has the slightest possibility of being disliked, the Sharia prefers at that moment that you do re'aya, which means you should rather consider that aspect of yourself of being a good guest as opposed to considering that aspect of your being a good Sufi. Yes, alright? And actually being a good guest is how to be a good, good Sufi. In other words, you should eat the shrimp if it's offered to you. Alright? And second case where you may be able to eat shrimp as well without any karahat is if you're traveling. Is if you're traveling. So if you're traveling on the plane and you want to stay from and you order the seafood meal thinking you would have gotten fish and you got the shrimp. Right? Because seafood meal can be anything. Right? Uh, you can eat the shrimp. And whatever else there is. Right? I've had this experience once in Cape Town. Flight from Cape Town to Johannesburg. I don't even know what it was and I ate it. It could have been oyster, clam. It, I can tell you it wasn't fish. All I know for sure is it wasn't fish. <laughs> that much I know. <laughs> right? It was something else altogether. Right? And the orf is there in language in English as well. People call these things shellfish. Right? Lots of these things are called in English. Not shrimp, but this oyster and clam and I don't know what the other ones are. They're called shellfish. All right? Here, you can look that up. That you can do. You can Google it. In fact, you'll find many fatwas for you on shrimp and lobster. On that, but this 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 ayah is something that they discuss. What is the actual meaning of this ayah? All right. alaykum Sayyidul Barri ma dumtum and prohibited upon you is the hunting of any land creature, land animal, as long as you remain in the state of Aram and fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that being to whom each and every one will eventually and ultimately be gathered. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the Kaaba, the Bayt al Haram, a place of inviolability, of sacredness. Kiyaman linas that the Kaaba is a means of the sustenance and maintenance of all of humanity. Now here is the month, the months 
that of sacred and viable months, while hadiyah and the animal sacrifice, while qala'id I did before you was the garlands that they placed around those animals to mark them as animals that were going to be offered as, as, as sacrificial offerings to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, all of this has been done by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That so that, that you may know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything that lies above and everything that exists in, in the realms that lie above and all that which lies on this earth. And that indeed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all knowing over each and everything. Know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extremely intense in His punishment. And that also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving and all merciful. Alright? Now here, normally we say that Allah Ta'ala puts Ghufurur Rahim first to show that it is Ghalib. But here it's this notion that the climax and the end note is on Ghufurur Rahim. So here still Ghufurur Rahim is Ghalib over Shadidul Laqab, but not through precedence and order, but through climax and culmination of that passage and of that particular ayah. Alright? Ma Allah Rasuli illal Balag, and it is nothing is incumbent on the Prophet except transmitting and delivering the message of revelation and prophecy. Wallahu yalamu ma tumduna wa ma taktumun, and Allah Subhanahu knows each and everything that you do apparently and outwardly, and Allah Subhanahu knows each and everything that you conceal or that you feel inwardly. Kul la yastawil khabithu wa tayibu, wallahu a'jabaka kathratul khabith. That Allah Ta'ala says, say my beloved messenger some to the people, that that which is khabis, that which is impure, that which is foul, that which is vile, is not similar, not the same, and not, should not be considered as the same level as that which is tayyib, that which is pure, that which is noble. Even if many things that are khabith, or many things that have been forbidden, or that are evil, or that are prohibited, a'jabaka may and put you into a state of wonderment may please you in some particular way. Fattakullaha so fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ya ulal albab people of inner discernment and insight la allakum tuflihun so that you may attain the success and facility in the akhirah. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tas'alu an ashya'a in tubdalakum tasukum wa in tas'alu anha hina yunazzal al-Qur'anu Alright, what was going on here, but what is the tayyib and the khabis that is being referred to here? Okay. Interestingly, there's a hadith that mentions that what happened was when the prohibition of alcohol that came down just a few ayat earlier came down, so there was a sahaba who went to the Prophet ﷺ and said <coughs> that I used to sell a lot of liquor. I was selling this stuff and I've earned a lot of wealth by doing so. And if I spend this wealth, and if I now spend this money in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will it benefit me? Right now I've earned this money by selling alcohol. Let's say I spend it in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Will it benefit me? Sayyidina Rasulullah responded then that Allah Ta'ala only accepts what is tayyib, Allah Ta'ala only accepts what is pure, and then this ayah was recited. Alright? Now, a person may think that, okay, look, uh, in this particular Sahaba's case, the prohibition of alcohol was revealed right in his lifetime, right? And so what was before, he wasn't liable for that, because at that time, alcohol wasn't prohibited, and he wasn't doing any sin. 
So why shouldn't the wealth that he earned or the money that he earned to sales of liquor prior to the prohibition, why should that be referred to as khabis or as evil? So actually, some of the Mufassirun have actually specifically mentioned this and they said that no, that all current and previous gains, all current and previous gains that were made through the sale of liquor were made, were viewed, were deemed or ruled by the Prophet to be haram. So it was viewed as haram wealth. Even the previous gains that were gotten through liquor. Alright? So much so I remember in fact in another hadith, there were some sahaba who had glasses, particular glasses by which they used to drink wine and the Prophet commanded them they had to break those glasses. It wasn't enough to stop drinking, they had to break those glasses. And contemporary scholars have taken the ruling out from that, that Muslims today we should not use even for other beverages, like for juices and for other things, we shouldn't use those sort of wine-shaped or flutes, I think they call them, those type of glasses that normally are used in or foreign custom uh, to drink alcoholic beverages. So we shouldn't do that. And some people, you see that actually a lot, in, especially that uh, the big round one, people really use that a lot in Pakistan at gatherings, even to serve water. So we shouldn't use that. All right? Okay. Haram wealth, if a person has any haram wealth, what are you supposed to do with haram wealth? So let's say you had a bank account that earned interest and you want, you made toba now and you took your money out of that bank account and you put it into an Islamic banking account, right? But at the very least, the money isn't used for interest. Even if you put your money in a current account in a bank, you may not be getting interest, but they're using your money to charge interest. It's still propagating the system. As a deposit holder in that bank, your money is being used to further perpetuate and maintain a system of charging people loans on interest. So you should put the money in the Islamic bank. If you don't have full faith in Islamic banking, then don't put it in an account that you earn profit. Put it in their current account. But this much you know that they don't use your money to charge anybody interest on it. Right? Okay. What do you do with any haram money that you have? So let's say a person says, okay, well, what do I do with all the interest I got for the past 10 years? The hukum of haram money is that it must be given away to a person or a recipient or anything that is eligible for zakat without the niyat of sawab. Because you only get sawab for giving away in charity money that was lawfully acquired. If money is unlawfully acquired and you give it away, that is the way that you're dispensing of that money. You are not actually going to get sawab, but you should make niyat that whomsoever and who, whosoever haq is here. Right? So maybe some Muslim took out a loan and paid interest on that loan. Right? And then the bank gave you some interest on your... That's how it works. They give you some interest on your savings account based on the interest that they charge other people. So that actually money is their haq. But you don't know who that person is. So you can't find them. So you make niyat that the sawab of this giving of charity goes to whoever's haq this money is. I'm not the mustahik. I'm not the haqdar. I'm not the rightful owner of this money. Because this is unlawfully acquired money. So whoever is the rightful owner of this money, the sawab of this charity should go to them. Right? That is the way that a person disposes of haram money. Some ulama have given more relaxation, uh, but I've not been able to really engage them and understand on what basis they did this. And that is it doesn't have to be only for a person who is eligible for zakat, but it can be given for anything that is considered to be sadaqah. My own personal position is not that, and therefore also we never take, uh, because at the Zainab Academy we don't take zakat, right? Because we don't... <laughs> the AC bill and the generator diesel, that's not something that you can use zakat money on. Zakat is for the poor, 
right? And we don't take uh, money. Uh, I mean, sometimes we don't know who's giving something, but we don't take money from any source of haram wealth. Because my own view is that the haram wealth should go uh, into the fund that has been allocated for zakat. All right. Okay, we're going to stop over here. We're going to stop a little bit early today, about 100 brown, this raku of, well, let me see. Yes, all right, we're going to stop, inshallah. Subhana Rabbi Lala Muhammad Allahumma salli ala siluna Muhammad wa ala ala siluna Muhammad wa barik wa sallam Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam takfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna min al-khasinin Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you give us strength in Iman, himmat in our Iman, istikamat on our deen. Ya Allah, if ever we make an intention of good for your sake, Ya Allah, we ask that you give us the himmat to fulfill that intention, to carry out that action, to persevere on that action. Ya Rabbi Kareem, in this month of Ramadan, each and every one of us has intended that we want to make, a pers- make ourselves a person of taqwa, a person of tahara, a person of ikhlas, a person of salah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you give us the himmat to be true to this intention Give us the strength to follow up on this intention Give us istikamat to always remain on this intention Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want to be those who always obey you Ya Rabbi Kareem, all we were able to offer to you Was a few hours of our life In which we stayed away from food and drink Only for you and only in your name And only for your sake Ya Allah, we ask that you accept this fast We ask that you make this fast a means of bringing us to your entire Higher obedience, Ya Rabbi Kareem, what our dua is, is that as perfectly and completely as we offer the fast in terms of staying away from food and drink, may you enable us to as perfectly and completely fulfill all of your commands and wishes. May you enable us to as perfectly and completely follow and fulfill all of the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you make us learn the lessons of patience from this month of Ramadan. Make us learn and feel the lessons of shukr and gratefulness from this month of Ramadan. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us increase in our sadaqah, let us increase in our ibadah, let us increase in our tilawah, let us increase in our dua, let us increase in our dhikr, let us increase in our salah. Ya Allah, and those of us who have any bad habits, sinful habits remaining, Ya Allah, we ask that through the barakah of this month, that you purge us from those habits, you purge us from those sins. And Ya Allah, all of us who have so many good attributes still lacking, Ya Allah, we ask that you fill our hearts with khair in this month of Ramadan. Grant us the sifat mu'minin in this month of Ramadan. Grant us the adab and akhlaq of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in this month of Ramadan. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are your alladhina amanu. We hear you when you call out, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you do not punish us for our sins. Do not send an adab and alim on us for our transgressions. Ya Allah, guide us to the path of Tawbah. Guide us to a life of Tawbah. 
Let us not pass away from this earth until we have truly and sincerely repented for each and every one of our sins. Let us not pass away from this earth until we have gotten your forgiveness for each and every one of our sins. Ya Rabbi Kareem, this month of Ramadan is a month of Maghfirah, is a month of Rahmah, is a month of Itkum min nar Ya Allah, we ask that you drown us in your mercy, shower upon us for forgiveness, and we ask that you emancipate us and liberate us from the fire of Jahannam. And Ya Allah, we ask that you grant us a life that will lead us to Jannah, grant us those Adain that will lead us to Jannah, grant us those A'mal that will lead us to Jannah, send your Kamal Hidayah upon us, and Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us submit Kamali once and for all. Ya Rabbi Kareem, so many times you've already guided us, so many times you've already sent Ramadan upon us, and so many times we have failed to receive that guidance, so many times we have failed to follow that guidance. Ya Rabbi Kareem, this year we wish matters to be different, this year we wish to be true, this year we wish to be loyal, this year we wish to be sincere, this year we wish to be devout, this year we wish to be devoted, this year we wish to be your loving ibad. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you make us the misdaq of the ayah of Quran, that Allah SWT, that you love us, and that you enable us to love you, and grant us all of those sifat that were mentioned in those ayat, and make us amongst the firmest and strongest of your believers. Ya Rabbi Kareem, surely it is only you, and only in the ability of a being such as you to take the weakest of the weak and to make us the firmest of the firm. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are the weakest of the weakest of the believers in this ummah, the most sinners that have ever occurred in this ummah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, it is your power and your karam and your rahmah and this barakah of this month of Ramadan that can change the sinners like us and make us amongst the ibad salihin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Rambana takabbal minna innaka anta السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين آمين